this is a spoiler alert. The following podcast contains very deep plot points from the Mass Effect trilogy. If you intend on playing through the Mass Effect games and don't want to be spoiled on any of the storyline, I urge you not to listen to this podcast. You have been warned. Hey there, and welcome to Calibrations, the Mass Effect podcast. I am, as always, your host, Michael Cohen, and with me is my co-host, Kyle Avery. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Uh, good, good. So we're here to talk Mass Effect 3, and uh, we're not going to get much farther than that. If you're a, a longtime listener to Frontline's The Clone Wars podcast, you've probably already figured out that this is our April Fools podcast. Uh, we didn't we didn't do one last year, but uh, but a few years back we did the Star Trek one, and uh, with Mass Effect just recently having been released, and uh, Kyle and I both being huge huge fans of it, uh, and and the controversy with the ending, and just there's so much to talk about that uh, we were having a conversation the other day, and we thought, hey, why not let you guys in on uh, on how we feel about this epic conclusion to what's been uh, actually a trilogy in the making almost as long if not I think about almost equally as long as uh, as the Clone Wars Uh, I think about 2008 was when uh, Mass Effect came out so yeah uh, longer actually uh, yeah yeah I guess so longer ago than that like 2006 so I I think uh, it was 2007 when 2007 was when the first one was released okay so they they were working on it long before that because it took them forever to figure out the story and get all this stuff together so there you go so it's been it's been a long time coming uh, for a lot of fans and uh, and and so it's finally come to an end and there's some people who aren't all that happy about it Uh, and then there are some people who are happy with the way that it ended. It's like the end of anything, right? Uh, there's there's going to be people who loved it and people who hated it, but uh, the vocal minority is definitely out when it comes to Mass Effect 3 and uh, and the the, the, the final ending. Uh, and maybe it's not so final. We'll talk about that. But first, let's just uh, let's talk about uh, Mass Effect in general and uh, and and when each of us sort of came to Mass Effect and, and first started playing it. So I uh, so when when did you uh first get into Mass Effect? Um I think for me it was about two thousand nine. It was a few months before Mass Effect two came out and a friend of mine um you know recommended it to me. He had played it, really loved it. I had heard of it but wasn't really all that interested in it. But he told me it was made by the same guys at Bioware who did Knights of the Old Republic, which was like my favorite game at the time. And so he was like, I really think you're going to like this one. And so I picked up a copy, a used copy of it at GameStop like over the summer when I had nothing else to do and played it. And I didn't like instantly fall in love with it, but I enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and uh, liked it enough to, you know, get Mass Effect 2 when that came out. Mass Effect 2 is what really turned me into like a big fan of the franchise. Yeah. Because um, then I played that one like four times and then went <laughs> back and played Mass Effect 1 a couple more times and brought those characters into Mass Effect 2 and I got into all the 
you know, the backstory and the lore and everything. I still haven't read all the like books and comics and all that. I've read some of the comics, but not the uh, the novels. Hmm. But yeah, it was really Mass Effect Two that kind of kicked it off for me and made me like a huge fan of the universe. And of course, then got me all hyped up for Mass Effect Three. And yeah. so I think now I've played Mass Effect One like four times and Mass Effect Two like six or seven. I'm in the middle of a playthrough <laughs> right now. I don't remember exactly which one. But uh, yeah, so I was super excited for Mass Effect Three to come out. And then, uh, you know, again, like you said, we'll get to it a little bit later, but I was kind of, I'm kind of in the middle on the endings, I guess. I was, mm. uh, kind of had some mixed feelings on it. Like, I don't hate it as much as some people, but I also do think they could have been better. But, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That, that's my Mass Effect story. So what about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, in, in uh, I guess it was probably 2007, uh, my roommate at the time, uh, I had the PS3 and he had an Xbox 360. And when he bought it, one of the games that he bought, he, he got two games with it. He got Bioshock and he got Mass Effect. And uh, and so, you know, I, I, I played a bit of it. I kind of got into it. And then he moved out. So uh, I never got to finish the first Mass Effect. I, I think I made it most of the way through uh, and just about to Ilos. I, I think that I could have gone to Ilos, uh, which is the end of the game. Uh, but uh, But I was trying to tidy up all of the the quests and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> so from there, it was a pretty long gap until actually just last year. Uh, when I got my Xbox 360 uh, after Christmas in uh, Christmas of 2010, uh, I on Boxing Day, which up in Canada here is is uh, it's kind of like Black Thursday or, or Black Friday uh, in in the states, mm -hmm. uh, but it's the day after Christmas. Uh, when everything's oh, okay. on super sale, so I went and I picked up uh, a 360 for super cheap, and uh, and and then I went over to uh, the GameStop and I got Mass Effect One and Mass Effect Two, uh, and and some other games and that sort of stuff. And uh, uh, so it was then that I really got to uh, to to get into the game. Uh, mostly prompted by friends who were like, Mass Effect 2 was so amazing, game of the year, just unbelievable experience, you should totally check it out. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, I, I had the opportunity to pick it up, pick up Mass Effect 2 on on the PS3, but I just thought, no, it's it looks better on the 360, it's one of the few games that you can say that about, that it really does look way better on the 360. Um, and I... I that Mass Effect 1 will never be released for the PlayStation 3 because it was actually uh, produced in part by Microsoft Game Studios, so um, so they'll never be able to release it on the PlayStation 3. So uh, so I was like, no, I want to be able to... Because the game is so heavily influenced by the choices that you make, I mm. want those choices to count for something. I want them to follow through. So, uh, so I waited until I got the 360, played through 1 and 2, uh, probably in the span of about a month, maybe a month and a half. Like I, I killed those games pretty quick, um, and I I played full Paragon through both of them. I made sure that all of my squad mates and everything uh, survived through Mass Effect Two, which is a really big part of that story. But uh, similar to you, it was like I, I enjoyed Mass Effect. Um, and and it was it's an interesting game. It's very uh, it's 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 Knights of the Old Republic, 
but uh, there's no lightsabers and there's no Jedi, but and it takes place in our galaxy, not one far, far away. But other than that, it's like when it comes to gameplay, the first Mass Effect is very, very similar. Um, yeah, well, it's it's different in terms of the combat, just because you're actually it, running around with a gun, having to pull the trigger to shoot. It's and, framed differently, and and the way that you interact with it is different. But in in truth, with the first Mass Effect, the mechanics of it work almost identically. It's it's a it's essentially a D twenty system, which right, is right. What, like Dungeons and Dragons and all of that stuff is based off of. So, although in Mass Effect two and Mass Effect three, uh, it sort of has a little bit more of a, a an FPS bent to it. Uh, with the first one, if you had the sniper rifle. And you lined up a shot perfectly and fired, you could still miss because they would essentially roll the dice on you. And it's like you're waiting for that moment to fire what will help you and give you a bonus, but it still won't guarantee that that's where the bullet's going. So um, that was actually probably one of the biggest criticisms of the first game, and I think that's why they changed it because people were like, "Look, if you're gonna, if you're not gonna give me." other things to attack with other than, you know, essentially ranged attacks, uh, then, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be almost one-to-one. It can't be this, this off where like I'm shooting a gun and the animation looks like it's, it should be hitting, but the damage isn't happening and the points aren't coming, you know, like it's, yeah, there was sort of like a disconnect. So, um, I think, I think the first one suffered from a lot of that. I think the first one suffered from sort of an identity crisis where uh, I think Bioware wanted to make another Knights of the Old Republic game, but they didn't want to make a Star Wars game. So they, they created the Mass Effect universe and this story in order to facilitate that. So when you really start to break it down, all they did was remove lightsabers. And other than that, it's... The same. It, it's it, it is uh, uh, it is absolutely a Knights of the Old Republic game. The first one. Uh, when you get into the second one and the third one, it couldn't be farther from it. Like they they've really diverged. Uh, and I haven't played the Old Republic. You have so so you can talk a little bit about that. But with the first one, it's like they put in this thing called biotics, which it's kind of like a, a, a neural implant that allows you to use telekinetic abilities. Um, some it's the of, force. So yeah, some of the the powers are literally called pull and push, which for anybody who's played a Knights of the Old Republic or any Star Wars game with force powers knows that pull and push are like they're they're your two starter force powers, right? Like in, yeah. in any in any Star Wars game where you're a Jedi. So, um, so yeah, I mean it definitely. It, it they take it in a different direction because then there's also like warp and singularity and stuff like that where what you're actually controlling are uh, it it's not telekinetics it's it, you're controlling mass effect fields which for those who don't know you so there's might be some people that are learning a heck of a lot about mass effect right now yeah mass or, effect, or just sitting there going what the heck are you yeah, guys talking about mass effect fields are like the mass effect field is what sort of ties the mythology of this entire series together on a science fiction level. So there's these things called the mass relays, which are essentially like giant uh, rail guns, like magnetic rail guns, that if you have a, a, a mass effect generator on a ship, 
you can essentially sync up with one of these mass relays and it will shoot you to another mass relay. So you just like, it's kind of like a hyperdrive, but it, they're, they fire to fixed points in the galaxy. So there's all these mass effect relays uh, and based on that technology and the technology of this one thing called the Citadel, which is kind of, uh, it's not really at the heart of the galaxy, but it's sort of at the center of the Mass Effect relay network. Um, this, but with all of that technology, they come up with all of these different things. One, of, one thing being the biotic implants, which allows them to manipulate Mass Effect fields and do things like create small black holes and throw people across rooms and stuff like that. And, you know, create shields and barriers and stuff like that. So, yeah. Basically, uh, basically manipulating dark matter or something like that. Yeah. Like dark yeah, energy. Uh, yeah. Well, no, yeah. Dark matter is, is uh, dark matter, dark energy is kind of one of the key points that actually a lot of people are pissed off about when it comes to the ending of Mass Effect 3. Um, because in the first game and the second game, if you read through a lot of the codex, there's, there's so much backstory in these games, it's ridiculous. You have a menu yeah. with a journal that you can go into at any time, and you can read literally, like, pages and pages of information on the history of this galaxy, uh, what the Mass Effect relays are, who the, the different species are, uh, their interactions. There's so much depth to it. It's, it is, they literally went, like, we need a Star Wars universe in order to tell a story, but we don't want to use the Star Wars universe. So they wrote their own. And it has almost as much history as the last 30 years of Star Wars. It's, it's phenomenal the feat they, they, they undertook in doing all of this. Now, it doesn't have the fleshed-out individual stories but, like, if you pick up the essential chronology for Star Wars and you read through all of the codex in Mass Effect 3, you would have, I, I guarantee you, if you publish them side by side as books in the same format, same font, like, same, like, if you, if you took into account everything, you'd have, like, the same amount of information. I guarantee it. Like, they, it's, they've put such a depth into it that they've done in the last five or six years, probably like seven years with development and everything, why it's taken 30 years for Star Wars to do. 30 plus, almost 40. Ugh, yeah, I've, I'd probably agree because it's a huge amount of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, like you said, it's not as many, like, individual stories. Yeah. But I, but I think they probably go into even more detail than Star Wars does just as far as, like, the backstory and just kind of general yeah. information about these races and stuff like i know like i know more about the asari and salarians than i do about you know rodians i'm like they're yeah. just the, they're just the green guys that han shoots in the cantina you know yeah absolutely and we've seen them in a lot of stories but they don't give us a whole lot of like depth and detailed backstory which isn't yeah. necessarily essential but just the fact that they've done that for everything in mass effect really makes it feel like this big fleshed out universe that's yeah. been there for a long time even though this is the first story they told in it yeah, and, and that they've given you the choice as to whether or not you want to seek that stuff out because you can right. you can choose to just sort of sit back and uh, and just play through the games, not really do a lot of side quests, uh, not really interact with a lot of the characters. You can just play through the games for the mechanics of it, but uh, particularly with Mass Effect 3, that is not the point of these games. The point of these games is to go through... Build relationships with your squad mates. Uh, build relationships with with essentially the galaxy, 
like uh, how they view you and and uh, what kind of a hero you are because you can choose to either be a renegade or a paragon which mm-hmm. again light side or dark side morality choices that started in knights of the old republic with light side and dark side points and everything so uh that's the like renegade paragon is their their version of that um it some people complain because it doesn't really affect that much uh the the story still unfolds on a larger scale in the same way regardless of uh of of some of the choices that you make uh mass effect 2 i feel like i sort of had a little bit more of that like um the choices you made in mass effect 1 really determine how people treat you in mass effect 2 uh-huh. Uh, and then I think the problem with Mass Effect 3, actually kind of the same problem that the prequels have, is that it goes from a very personal story. Mass Effect 2 is hugely personal. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really, it's about your personal journey as Commander Shepard and, uh, and then your squad mates. It's, uh, one of the points of the game is to go through and do these individual loyalty missions. So each, each character that you can team up with on your, on your ship, uh, has a backstory that they need to fulfill something as a part of, uh, whether it's taking out a, a, a crime lord, you know, back from when they used to be a cop on 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 the, on the Citadel, uh, which is a big space station, uh, or you know whatever. It, it, you they essentially they will they'll come to you at a certain point and say, hey, can you? help me out with this. And so you, you actually literally develop relationships with them. They will treat you differently depending on how you talk to them and the choices that you make in the dialogue trees. And, uh, and, and they'll, they'll regard you differently and they'll act differently for you. Um, not to a huge degree, but it is there. Like the, the, whether or not they're willing to die for you, uh, it makes a difference in the end game. And then you get to Mass Effect 3 and it's really not about the personal story anymore. Now it's about the galaxy. So you lose a lot of that individual connection. There are still a lot of personal stories in it that get fulfilled, but those personal stories now have galactic ramifications. Like whether or not you decided to kill Rex in the first game, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 from a story perspective, greatly affects the outcome of of what you can do in the third game. Uh, so it, it's a uh, it it is there, but I I get why some people are kind of upset with it because whereas in Mass Effect Two, it really felt like your decisions were affecting the world around you. In Mass Effect Three it feels like you can just sort of walk away from the game, walk back to it. There's no sense of urgency. You can do the main storyline quests, or you can run off and do a bunch of fetch quests for random NPC characters that are not even important. Ones that you didn't even talk to. You just overheard them in in, in a hallway saying like, oh man, we really need some uh, medical supplies because we're running out. So, you know, you can run off and look for medical supplies for them and bring them back. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really change anything, um, all that adversely, which, which, uh, it, it, it bugged me to a certain degree, but I was much more interested in, uh, in the personal stories. Um, one of the big components of Mass Effect is, is romance. 
and uh, you can actually romance the different characters. Uh, in the first two, it, you had a choice between if you were a male shepherd, Commander Shepherd, you could romance several of the female characters, human and non-human, in the first and second game. Uh, but really, only one relationship in the first game could actually be anything. Um, but then in the third game, uh, you you could actually have same-sex uh, relationships with, with certain characters, and uh, there, there was some interesting stuff like that. So, uh, it, it's, like, that's one of the big parts of the game. Uh, Miranda, a character from the second game, who is voiced by Yvonne Strahovski, who anybody who watches Chuck will know uh, was Sarah on Chuck. Yep. Um, she was definitely my my uh, uh, main focus in, uh, in like I, and and not just because it was Yvonne Strahovski and because I like Chuck and all that sort of thing, but I actually did like her character and and uh, sort of the the similarity between her and my Commander Shepard. Um, they were sort of the same the same thing. They were both soldiers, sort of bred for war and raised for war and, and for and as killing machines, but then, you know, are individuals. And they're also both essentially super soldiers. Miranda is a genetically engineered, essentially considered perfect human being. And then Commander Shepard, uh, it, it's big spoilers here, uh, in, at the beginning of the second game, dies... And then is rebuilt by uh, sort of what's considered one of the enemy factions, Cerberus. Well, by Miranda, too. By Miranda, <laughs> who works for Cerberus. Uh, and uh, uh, he's rebuilt with all of these synthetic machine parts inside of him to... Uh, but what they do, they don't enhance him. They just bring him back to be exactly the Commander Shepard that he was before. Uh, because... He's the only one that can stop this threat. Which you know, we've been talking now for like all, um, you know a good twenty minutes, and uh, we haven't even mentioned the Reapers yet. <laughs> or the collectors, or Saren, or, or the collectors, or Saren, or the Geth, <laughs> which is hilarious because like that's how deep this this game series is. We can talk about it for like 15, 20 minutes and not even get to the actual threat in the game. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, they rebuild him, so he's like he's he's kind of this. Uh, this robot super soldier, because uh, he was already kind of a super soldier, because he's he's the main character, right? He's you, so he can do anything. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so I don't know. I always felt that there was like there was a connection between the two characters, and the writing in the second game really pushes you towards that. Um, the, the, there are other relationships that are worth pursuing, uh, and that you know in another playthrough I might uh, tally being one of them. She seems like she'd be an excellent uh, uh, relationship to pursue and to really, to really get into because she's an interesting character, uh, as well as um, uh, uh, Garrus, who's my favorite squad mate, and I think uh, you you agree with me on that, right, yeah, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Garrus is my favorite squad Gar mate. I've never. I've never played a female shepherd in romance okay. gears just because yeah. I'm not like it's kind of weird, right? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, and because Garrus is like a big kind of almost lizard looking guy with <laughs> spiny things, spiny things on his yeah. head and scaly skin and all that. I'm like, I don't know if I'd be attracted to that. But it even yeah. it even kind of just takes it to a weirder place for uh, for uh, 
and no judgment. I just want that to be perfectly clear because we're yeah, going to get yeah. into some I'm stuff. Saying, probably yeah, talking that's about just this. me. Yeah, like this is just a totally personal perspective. For me, as a straight male, romancing Garrus will be a very weird thing. I'll probably do it because I want to see that story as much as I, as much as I'd want to see it in a movie or a TV series or something like that. Uh-huh. Like it's just sort of like, oh, that's it's a really interesting thing to go like take a human female and uh, and to romance. A Turian, which they're like kind of bird lizard people, uh, a Turian male, and and sort of see see what that is. Um, where like it's it's just th- this is the depth of the game, right? Is that yeah. you can make these choices, and those personal relationships are whatever you want to make out of them. So, um, so my storyline, starting from the first game, being involved with one of the female characters in that. Uh, named Ashley Williams, uh, and then her essentially telling you to screw off in the second game, and then Miranda being there and me going like, well, Miranda's more attractive anyways, and (laughs) her storyline is cooler, and she's just, she's not a xenophobic, obnoxious character like Ashley Williams was in the first game. and then you get, to, so I romance her in the second game and, and developed this relationship and really like focused on it, made a decision really early on that that's what I was going to do. And then you get to the third game and Ashley is back and she kind of apologizes and you start to, like, I started to kind of rekindle that with her uh-huh. uh, just because I was like, oh, well, I know Miranda's not one of your squad mates in this, so I don't know if that'll really be a fulfilling storyline. And then Ashley gets injured in like the first mission and uh and gets taken off your squad and i was like oh well these two are on even footing now like now that you've put now that like i'm not in a relationship with either of these characters that are on my my main squad that won't be in every encounter with me that i can't have constant interaction with i'm going with miranda i'm gonna follow that storyline so like i really had this sort of this back and forth between the two characters that I'm sure other people have also had, like, like I'm not saying that I'm completely unique, but I know that my experience with it was my experience. It yeah. was what I put into it and what I chose to do. And, uh, and Kyle, you can probably, you can talk about maybe yours and, uh, and how yours differed. And then everybody will kind of hear just what, what kind of a different pathway you can take. Yeah, well, I actually, mine was kind of similar, but almost the opposite to what you had, which is I had, you know, I was with Ashley in Mass Effect 1, and then got to Mass Effect 2, and, uh, you know, like you said, she wasn't around really much for the game, then you meet her at one point, and she's kind of not too happy about the fact that you're working with this group called Cerberus, because they're, uh, you know, they're, like, known for being a terrorist organization, and um, Ashley, like you said, isn't very crazy about aliens but Mm -hmm. Cerberus has been known to like go to extremes and kill aliens and do tests on them and stuff like that yeah they're essentially pro-human yeah and uh you know so she's not happy that you're working with them even though the only reason or at least your justification that you can choose if you're a paragon commander shepherd is you're you know you don't want to work for them but you're only doing it because they're the only ones that are willing to listen to you and deal with this threat that's you know coming on the galaxy but uh, you know, so I was I was kind of like 
tempted to go towards Miranda in Mass Effect 2, but I decided to like stick with Ashley and see how it would go in Mass Effect 3, you know, see if she'd come back around. And it ended up, for me, being actually a really interesting storyline in Mass Effect 3 because, um, you know, you, you get back together and you can tell there's kind of like a little bit of that old flame there, but at the same mm-hmm. time, she still has some distrust of, you know, you working with Cerberus. And Cerberus is like a main enemy in Mass Effect 3, so you're going around, you know, trying to stop their plans, and they're getting in your way, and you're fighting a lot of Cerberus troops and stuff. And anytime someone will be like, what's Cerberus up to here? Ashley's like a little bit suspicious still, like you really don't know, like how do I know you've really turned your back on them and stuff. And so it kind of, I don't know, for me it brought like a deeper level of connection between my shepherd and Ashley, just kind of mm-hmm. knowing that there was still that friendship there, but also really having to earn her trust back and be like, look, these are the bad guys. I'm not with them anymore. Like I want to stop them as much as you do. So let's you know move on with it. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's a pivotal moment in the game where, um, you know, you stop them from like taking control of the Citadel and there's, there's a really tense moment right before that where she tries to stop you. And then you finally convince her that you're not with them and, everything's kind of good from that point forward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that for me was really fulfilling um, as a, you know, just as a character story through all three games. Awesome. Yeah, see, like, that. that's, I think, what, what makes it so, uh, so engrossing for everybody is that, you know, like, you've, really, you've made these choices, you've done, you, the storyline is your own. They've given you options, and it's like a choose-your-own-adventure, but... Just like to a degree that I, I don't think anything else has ever done before, um, right? Just kind of giving you like this ridiculous freedom to uh, to build the story how you want it to play out. Yeah, and I mean there are you know hundreds of choices you can make that are just as big as the ones we were talking about, or smaller mm-hmm. on a different level. But like you said, it really is. I mean, if you play through all three games, you probably haven't played the exact same way that anyone else has. Yeah. Like, just because there's... I mean, unless you've just kind of run through and done all the main quests. But if you've gotten into all the side quests and talked to all the different characters and stuff, you know, you get to make so many different choices that really make it feel like your story. Well, and and it's not even just uh, the the choices themselves, but it's your personal motivation for those choices. Right, Uh, right. For instance, there's a there's a moment in in Mass Effect Three where someone that you've trusted, you, you may not have liked, but you've trusted for, the, for all three games, uh, has betrayed the entire not just the human race but the entire galactic society, and you have a choice. You're given a choice at one point to just like you 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 can listen to his shit, you can give him an opportunity, you can arrest him, uh, but you know he could get away. He's we're t- but this is war, you know. So like, it's it's giving you the choice: deal with them now, or or you know, make them face the music or whatever. And for me, even though I play as a paragon, personally, I always give myself one renegade choice in every game to to just to add a little bit more flavor to my character. And that one renegade choice in Mass Effect Three was like, screw you, buddy. And I just popped him in the head, like it was, he was yeah. trying to, 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 you know, like, oh, don't, don't shoot me. Uh, you don't understand. I had to do it, and it's like, you know what? I don't want to hear it. Bang! And then he was dead. Well, no, and you know what? The other thing too is he's got he he pulls a gun on another character, mm-hmm. and so, and I guess if you don't decide to to shoot him right there, one of your other squad mates that you have with you will. 
But I was in yeah. the same boat. I was playing as a Paragon, and that Renegade trigger popped up. You can, you know, you get uh, these little symbols that pop up in the middle of your conversations, so you can make choices through like a dialogue wheel, kind of like Knights of the Old Republic has, or you can, uh, you know, you'll get these symbols that pop up, and you can pull the left trigger or the right trigger on your controller and trigger these interrupts, which is, you know, your Shepard will just do something in the middle yeah. of the conversation. And so that renegade trigger popped up, and I was like, you know what? He's got a gun on this person. I'm not going to wait around and see what happens. Like, yeah. I've had enough of this guy. Yeah, yeah, for and, sure. And, yeah, and so I'm kind of the same way, like you said, except I, you know, I don't limit myself to like one renegade choice. I just kind of mostly play Paragon. But if yeah. the moment feels right, like I made a few renegade choices in Mass Effect Three, and I don't regret any of them. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what? That's that's um, that's how I feel about mine. It's so funny because. Because, like, they, they give you this choice. And it's like when you play a Star Wars game, I feel like it's it's a little bit more cut and dry. It's it's either this is good or evil. With the Mass Effect games, they, they've made it very gray. Where it's like, even sometimes the Paragon choices don't feel like they're the right choices. They don't right. feel like you're acting in maybe the galaxy's best interest, but not the best interest of someone close to you. Or vice versa, right? Um right. And it's very interesting that way, uh, that interaction. But you know what? We've been talking about a lot of the mechanics and uh, and that sort of stuff, and we want to talk about the ending. So let's. Uh, I'm just gonna give a really really quick run through of all three games and the story to get us right to the end, and then we can talk about the end, which is probably gonna be really the meat of what we're gonna talk about. Uh, and feel free to uh, to throw anything in if you feel like I'm missing any important story points, but I'm going to try and All do right. this in as succinct and clear of a manner as possible. So I'm going to cover three games. I'm going to try and do it in maybe like 15 minutes. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe we should have started with this so people know what the heck we're talking about. But <laughs> well, you whatever. know what? It's important to understand how the game works and then the storyline is secondary. That's how I feel about it. So, uh, okay. So essentially what it is, is the first game starts with you uh, on on uh, a planet called Eden Prime, uh, going after uh, well, not really going after anything. You did, like there's a disturbance on this planet. You work for the uh, Alliance military, which is essentially the Earth government military. Uh, you are uh, N seven, which means that you're kind of like the uh, uh, a marine. Um, I guess the thing to equate it to would be like SEAL Team Six, like N seven elite are are the best of the best yeah and it's like the the highest level of like special forces training yeah kind of exactly stuff. and commander shepherd isn't just n7 he's also one of the best n7 that there's ever been so you uh you you're on the ship uh of captain anderson the guy that you've served under for a long time uh and you're going to to essentially check in on this this earth colony uh on eden prime uh, a human colony on Eden Prime, because uh, they've gone dark essentially, and so you go, you show up on the planet, and there's these weird zombie robot things, and at first you're not sure if they're enemies or if they're the the inhabitants, like the colonists or whatever. But all you know is that they're trying to kill you, so you got to take them out. So you do. Uh, there's another species with them called the Geth, which are uh, the Geth are a synthetic life form uh created by another race called the quarians we'll get into that later uh 
and uh, they're considered a threat in the galaxy. So uh, they're they're generally considered hostile. Yeah, but uh, they also they also generally kind of stick to their own territory and don't yeah. bother people too much. So it's very what yeah. Are so, these guys doing here? so it's very odd that they're in essentially alliance territory, uh, especially galactic. Uh, the Galactic Council territory. So, um, so you're there. You're investigating this. Everything seems kind of wonky. You get to uh, the the colony, like the into the middle of the colony, and you see a guy named Saren. He's a, a Turian Specter, which is the the uh, the Citadel, which is the the sort of the Galactic Council, their version of N seven, pretty much. Like it's their highest, uh, their highest honor. A Spectre, kind of like 007, can do whatever they want. Like they have a license to kill. They they can go anywhere they want, do anything they want. And they've been given special permission by the Council uh, to to do these things for galactic safety. Um, so sort of ki- kind of like a Jedi, but minus the whole mystical part of it. It's more about like you're a good soldier or you were a, a proficient cop or detective or something like that, and you've risen the ranks, and then they give you this special status. So, yeah, and this also, I mean, it's different from a Jedi too because they're not all worried about like peace and justice. And, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, you, you can have good specters and bad specters because all the council tells you to do is, you know, protect the galaxy by any means necessary. Yeah. And so whether you want to be out there like enforcing the peace or like cracking heads trying to, you know, get to the bottom of things, like you can yeah. kind of do whatever you want. But either way, like you said, overall, you're really just trying to protect the galaxy and kind of do what no one else can. Yeah. So you see this guy, Saren, who's a Turi inspector, and you're like, wait a second. Why is he here working with the Geth? And he looks a little bit funky. Like he, he he looks like he's maybe got some tech upgrades, uh, and 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 uh, a little bit of synthetic stuff like like uh, just a little bit off, um, and you find out that he's after this thing called a Prothean beacon, which the the colony has dug up, which the Protheans are believed to have been the ones who built the mass relays, so. Yeah, the Protheans were like the aliens that lived before yeah. us and then got wiped out by some mysterious force, but we like discovered Prothean ruins on Mars and yeah. was so, was basically what got us all this technology to be able to use the mass relays and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. so you chase Saren down, you get to the the Prothean beacon before him, and it activates when essentially Ashley or Caden, I'm uh, whichever. I'm not sure which one. No, I I'm think not sure if it makes a difference. I, I think it's always Ashley. Okay, it's always Ashley. Goes I to touch it, so. and you knock her out of the way, and it sort of activates and channels into you, and it downloads all of this information into your mind. But because the Protheans were such an advanced race, it's just gobbledygook in your brain, and yeah, like you get these flashes of images, these synthetic monster creatures and uh, just really like more emotion than anything and, and just sort of feelings and that sort of thing. And, uh, and, and it essentially warns you about a threat that's coming to the galaxy. Uh, and that threat is the Reapers. So I, uh, this kind of sends you, like, after this, you, you you go back, Saren gets away, you go back 
to the Citadel uh, to report to the other council races that, you know, this is what's happened. Saren is working with the Geth in order to uh, do something like, and, and all you can think is, is that he wants to destroy the council or take over the council or something like that. Like he wants control. So you get there and you're making these claims. And when you're making these claims, Saren shows up and because he's a specter, it's kind of your word against his. And, uh, it's a, a, a essentially it's kind of too bad, right? Like the, the, the council yeah. goes like, look, he's a specter. Whatever he was doing, it was council business. And these are huge allegations and you have no proof other than the fact that you say that he was there and yeah, he and says that he wasn't. So, you know, like just, you know, drop it. It's, it's essentially a moot point. So, sorry, you were going to say something? Yeah. No, I was just going to say like, really the only proof you have is that beacon that you saw. And so yeah. it's just these weird jumbled images in your brain and you're like, well, we can't convince them with that. So, yeah. so I, you leave, and a guy comes to you from uh, Citadel Security named Garrus Vakarian, and uh, he's essentially like, look, I've been following Saren for a long time. He's up to no good. I want to nail him to the wall. You want to nail him to the wall. Let's team up, and we'll find the proof that we need. Uh, you do, and then you find out that this, uh, this Quarian girl named Tally has that proof, you track her down on the Citadel, and then you get the proof, you take it to the council and say, hey, here's the proof, and then it's kind of like, okay, we're still not 100% sure, but, but all right, you know, like, we're going to yeah. give you, we're going to give you the ability to track this down and find out if it's actually true, and look into it, and Figure, find out why the Geth are encroaching on, on uh, Citadel space and every and all of the the different species regions, and why they've all of a sudden gotten aggre aggressive with with not just the humans but also with a few other uh, mostly human settlements, but with just a few other settlements across the galaxy. So they make you a specter, the the first human specter, and uh, and give you the ability to now go hunt down the truth. So that's that's sort of the impetus in the first game. Yeah, and and, and you, uh, I was to say you left out uh, Erdnot Rex, too, who, yes, you, who you team up with on the Citadel. He's a Krogan, which are like these big, massive guys with like sp spiny heads. and Yeah, they're kind of angry kind of frog it. lizard triceratops monsters. <laughs> That's a but, good way to put it. <laughs> but they're also I like I would I would say that they're the Mass Effect version of a Wookiee or uh, a Klingon. <laughs> they're kind of <laughs> like if you take a Klingon and a Wookiee, you mix them together and you combine it with a dinosaur. That's <laughs> that's how you get a Krogan. So they're they're as completely and utterly badass as a Wookiee. They've got the whole like honor and fighting and blah 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 society of the Klingons. And then they look like dinosaur, frog, lizard people. So yeah, it, this is definitely not your your lovable co-pilot. No, yeah, he's not. So. He's not fuzzy. <laughs> he's definitely yeah. not fuzzy. But he is kind of lovable in a different way. <laughs> yeah, in a way that you know you you love the 
quips he gives people when they try to give him crap. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so you head back to your ship, the Normandy, which is uh, the well, it's not your ship at this point. It, it's Captain Anderson's ship, and uh, it's like it's the most high tech ship in the Alliance fleet. It's got like all the bells and whistles. It's got a cool stealth system, so it can't be detected. Uh, that doesn't mean it's got a cloaking system. It's just got stealth, so it can't be detected by long range sensors um, or any sensors. I think. When it's yeah, up. no, it pretty much just it like it hides its heat emissions or something, yeah. so that you can't pick it up on radar or scanners or anything. But you can still look out. You still see visually it. see it if it's close enough. Yeah, yeah. So, I uh, so Anderson says it's all yours. The crew is all yours. You're a specter now. I, uh, you know, do it. Go hunt down Saren and uh, and prove that he's behind all this. Anderson has a special motivation for this because Anderson was actually the first human specter, but Saren essentially set him up. And I don't know that we've ever gotten the full, full story on how that happened, on how that all went down. You get a bit of the story in Mass Effect 1 from Anderson. He tells you, like, you know, Saren, like, we were working together on, on a mission and Saren set me up and 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 so Anderson hasn't trusted Saren ever since. Yeah, well, so, you know, I I think it might be in one of the novels because okay. um, there are like four Mass Effect novels, and I know at least one of them has to do with Anderson and Saren's involved in some point. So I'm not sure if that's that okay. story. There you go. Okay, so so Anderson's like, go get Saren, take him down, and uh, and so you take off across the galaxy. Uh, in in the course of that. Uh, there are three main quests that you do on three planets. One is Pharos, uh, I think, where you go and there's a human colony of scientists. You find out that they've been working with genetically manipulating uh, a creature called the... Uh, oh, Thorian? Yeah, the Thorian. I was going to say yeah. Ithorian, but in Ithorian <laughs> Star Wars. It's just the Thorian. I didn't even make that connection. The Thorian has this mind control... Uh, power that like sort of through like a, a, a bioorganic thing that it does and it can control uh, control the colonists. So at a certain point it takes over the colony and attacks you and you can choose whether or not to save the colony or destroy the colony in order to get to uh, the Thorian and then kill the Thorian. Super hard mission. Really, really cool and fulfilling. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the missions. Another mission is to go after uh, a character called a Matriarch Benezia, who is an Asari. Um, I, and, uh, well, I guess I guess more important than that, and then getting to that one, we talk about the one where you go and you investigate a Prothean dig site and a scientist that's gone missing. You get there and you find a scientist named Liara Tassoni, who is, like, essentially the foremost expert on on the Protheans, and uh, you get there, and the the Geth are already there, so you gotta fight them, and then uh, these sort of jerk mercenary Krogans are with them, and you have to fight yeah. them. Rescue Liara, uh, who, you know, and you get a little bit of more information on the Protheans, and uh, and what Saren's up to when you're there. Uh, is that, I think that's that entire story. Right? Pretty pretty much, yeah. Okay. So then from there you would go and you track down Matriarch Benezia, who is an Asari matriarch, kind of their all Asari are fe are female 
essentially. So, like, they don't have a male female, they just have females. So, I... You track down the matriarch, who's who's one of the heads of their government, sort of one of their their uh, nobles, and uh, she's on a planet called Novaria. Novaria, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, where uh, this company has a big uh, lab set up, and uh, and you go. You essentially, they won't let you into the lab for some reason. They won't let you talk to to Benezia. You finally get to the lab, which is sort of up this mountain. It's kind of a snowy hoth type planet, um, and uh, and you find out that what they've actually been doing is uh, there was a there was a, a species called the Rachni, which are kind of these bug people that uh, I guess a few hundred years before, or like a thousand years before, had tried to take over the galaxy. And, yeah, they're, uh, they're kind of like the things from uh, Starship Troopers. Kind of, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Well, they're Rachni, Arachnids, right? So, like, there's kind yeah. of a, there's a, there's a connection there. Um, so they're trying to bring these things back, which had caused this huge uh, galactic conflict called the Rachni Wars, which, <coughs> I'm sorry, in which the the Salarians and Asari decided that they would uplift the Krogan species, which was a lesser species, uh, sort of like a warring sort of caveman type species at the time, gave them guns because they, <laughs> like these things were just like brute force, um, and gave them guns and space travel and technology and nuclear weapons and said, here, go fight the Rachni for us, go die for us. And so they did, and then afterwards, the Krogan were like, cool, so we just took care of the Rachni for you, obliterated them, and completely destroyed every trace of them in the galaxy. Now we're going to take over, because you've given us all of this power, and we're warring, and that's what we do, and that's how we assert ourselves. It's our culture. So they do that, and then when they do that, the the other races, the Turians, the the Salarians, and the Asari, which are the three council races, say, "No, you can't do that." Beat back the Krogan, and then I uh, unleash this thing called the Genophage, which makes them essentially like ninety percent infertile. So most yeah. Krogans can't reproduce. So that's not really part of this story. So we'll get back to that in Mass Effect Two. <laughs> But it's important that you know that that's what's happening. So, so the Rachni were a huge threat, and it looks like Saren and the Geth are trying to bring them back for some reason, because uh, they've genetically engineered and and like oh, you think they've genetically engineered a bunch of Rachni, and then you get through this whole base and you find out that they have a Rachni queen. Uh, you defeat uh, Matriarch Benezia, who is in fact Liara's mother. Uh, and uh, if you're a good guy, she kills herself. If you're a bad guy, you kill her. Uh, and and that doesn't really have a lot of effect later on, but it's just kind of there. Um, and then you've got the Rachni Queen to deal with. The Rachni Queen, now, the, the Rachni up until this point you think are just like feral beasts, but they're not, because they were once a spacefaring race, uh, and actually are are highly intelligent. That's one of the reasons why they were such a big threat. So the Rachni Queen 
pleads with you to not kill her and to let her go. And if you do, that she'll take off into a region of space that nobody else is a part of, like, and they'll hide and they'll just stay there. Just don't essentially commit genocide uh, and, and completely wipe out the last of this species. So uh, you can make the choice, let them go, uh, uh, kill the rachni. Uh, obviously, this will have repercussions later down the line. So personally, I always save the rachni queen. Uh, I'm sure that Kyle probably does the same thing. I, yeah, well, I mean, I, I've had renegade characters where I've killed okay. them, but I guess I would say my main shepherd saved the rachni. Yeah. So I, so those are the three stories. Within those three storylines, you piece together that, uh, particularly for Matriarch Benezia, who is uh, sort of under control of this this uh, force that Saren is in fact working for, not working with, uh, called Sovereign. And Sovereign has the ability to do something called indoctrination, where he can take over your mind and essentially make you do what he wants. And uh, Sovereign is this giant spaceship that Saren has been flying around the galaxy and that everybody's like, where did he get that giant scary spaceship that looks like a Geth spaceship, but is so much bigger than any of their dreadnoughts or cruisers or anything. Yeah. Uh, and then you find out that, uh, that the Protheans have more information on what Sovereign is and what Saren's up to on a planet called Ilos and so you go to Ilos. Well, before you go to Ilos, there's also okay. Vermeer, which is where. Yes, um, sorry, yeah, Vermeer. Saren's got a base there where he's trying to feed. <coughs> he, he's trying to cure the genophage so that he can, you know, bring the Krogan back. But he's just trying to use it to like grow an army of Krogan for his yeah. own purposes, basically. And so you get in a big scuffle with Ur with uh, Rex about that. Like Thank he wants you, yeah. to keep the genophage cure so we can save his people, and you try to convince him that no, we need to just destroy this base because. Like, these aren't even your people, they're just, you know, Saren's puppets, and he's gonna... Yeah, they're like, they're not know. even, they're not even real Krogans, they're genetically modified Krogans, yeah. and so it's kind of, they're kind of monstrosities, not really monstrosities, because I think they look like Krogans, but I don't know that we really get to see a lot of them, but yeah. I, but it's, it is kind of like, it's this, it's this weird bastardization of the species, so you're like, no, we gotta destroy them. Yeah. So in that case, you can either, uh, you know, there's some choices in that conversation where you can kill Rex or you can basically talk him down. Yeah. Or if you don't have enough Paragon or Renegade points, because those those scores that you get will affect conversations that you can make in or affect choices you can make in conversations. Yeah. If you don't have enough points for either of those, like you'll try to talk him down and fail and he'll basically threaten to kill you. And then I think Ashley or one of your squad mates will kill Rex. Yeah, and uh, like you said, that'll have big repercussions later in the game, whether he's alive or not. Yeah, but then you team up with some Solarian special forces guys, and you go and infiltrate the base, and uh, eventually end up basically planting a giant bomb to blow up the whole facility. And then some stuff goes wrong, and you basically have Ashley and Caden in two different points throughout the base, and they're like they're both pinned down by enemy forces, and you can only save one of them before this bomb goes off. And you have to fight Saren, and he gets away, but you kind of start to maybe plant a little bit of doubt in his mind as to whether or not he's really indoctrinated or if he's really doing the right thing. Yeah. 
but then, uh, so you have to make a choice between saving Ashley or Caden, and one of them is going to end up getting left behind, and then this facility explodes, and so you lose one of your squad mates there, which is you know one of the big choices you have to make in Mass Effect 1, because you know you're leaving one of them to die, and you yeah. just have to pick which one of them you're going to save. Yeah, which generally you pick the one that you're romantically involved with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that seems, a lot of people end up with a dead Caden. Uh, <laughs> yeah, mostly because he was also the least, le the less interesting character of the two. I think um, that's how I feel. Because even if I romance Liara or you know save it till Mass Effect Two or whatever, yeah. I still usually save Ashley just because I think she's a little bit more interesting than Caden. Yeah. Um, okay, so then once you leave Vermeer, sorry, we go to Ilos. Uh, you get to Ilos, and Saren and his Geth are there. You fight through a whole bunch of them. And you get to this thing. Uh, oh, what's it? What's it called? The conduit. Yeah. To, well, they tell you about the conduit, right? Because that's what you're searching for is the conduit. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what you're looking for on Ilos. Yeah. Oh, are you talking about the? Um, the you the, get the Prothean. The Prothean the guy. Uh, Vigil. Vigil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Vigil is essentially a Prothean artificial intelligence, or they call them VIs, virtual intelligence, because yeah. a true artificial intelligence is doesn't exist yet uh the geth are the closest thing but they're not really so um well they're eh, i guess because i was going to say with mass effect 2 there's ed too so i was going to yes. say i don't know I've, so the geth aren't actually ais or they don't that because of the fact that the geth are a hive mind they don't really consider them a true oh. ai because gotcha. it, they're not individuals so gotcha. okay. um so yeah they are they are a synthetic life form but they're more like a virus or insects than they are like an individual, like a human or a sentient species. Okay. So although like as a, as a group, they're definitely, uh, they have an identity as individuals. They're, they're more of an animal. So they're not really considered an artificial intelligence. So, gotcha. but like you said, yeah, visuals are virtual intelligence, but yeah, visuals are virtual intelligence. He's, he's essentially uh, a download of a, pre a Prothean mind who then explains to you that there are these things, that Sovereign is a Reaper, which are these things that every 10,000 years show 50, up. Or 50,000. Is it 50,000? Okay. Yeah. Show up and wipe out all organic life. Well, not all organic life, but all, all advanced organic civilizations sentient life basically yeah. yeah sentient life um so they're coming and sovereign is the first one and so he's not a ship he's actually a life form like a synthetic life form um and you find out that they are like the what you consider the first intel artificial intelligence um truly artificial intelligence synthetic life form so you're like oh crap i gotta stop sovereign but it's a giant spaceship kind of like a death star or a super star destroyer like it's on that sort of a scale of like how are we going to stop it we don't have anything big enough they're going for the citadel which was in fact built by the reapers as were all of the mass relays which we previously thought were built by the protheans and that they were protean technology but it turns out that they're actually reaper technology and what the Reapers do is they have uh, a control on the Citadel that essentially shuts down everything. And because it's it's sort of, the Citadel is kind of, it's funny because it's even shaped like it. It's kind of a giant Venus flytrap <laughs> that, <laughs> like, that the, 
that Galact it's built there and the mass relays are there so that a, a sufficiently advanced race will find the technology, go to the Citadel, and establish their government on the Citadel. And they'll establish like a, 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 a multi-race government on this space station that the Reapers can control. So the idea is that they can essentially teleport into the Citadel with a small mass relay and just take over and just conquer the Citadel super fast. And from there on, take out the rest of the galaxy. So you find out that this is the plot. This is what Saren's been working for the whole time. <clears throat> He's been trying to build up an army in order to take the Citadel. You go through the, this uh, mass relay on the planet Ilos that launches you into the Citadel. And then, you know, you fight through the Citadel, take down Saren, and you can make a choice whether or not um, the whether or not you commit all of your forces, including the Earth Alliance forces, to to defeat Sovereign and save the Council, or whether or not you just act in the interest of humans and the Earth Alliance and say screw the council because there isn't even a human on the council and let them die. Um, so that's your last major choice. You make that choice uh, and and so you either save them or don't. Uh, obvious, I think the Paragon Renegade choices are fairly obvious there. Yeah. Well, uh, and there, there's, there's also a middle choice too, which I actually picked the first time I played the game because you can say, you know, save the council even though it's going to sacrifice a lot of human lives. Mm -hmm. You can say, screw the council, we don't like them, just let them die. Or you can say, you know, kind of hold our forces back, and it might cost the council, but we got to save everything to attack Sovereign. Yeah. Which, which the very first time I played the game, I thought that was, like, the only choice that made sense, because I wasn't, like, you know, trying to be all evil and kill the council, but I was yeah. like, well, because the first time you play it, like, I didn't know how the game was going to end. So I was yes, like, what, what, if, what if we commit our forces now and Sovereign, like, wipes us out while we're trying to save the Council, you know? Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to be smart and hold my forces back till he's vulnerable and, you know, okay, let the Council die, but we got to take this guy out. Yeah, so totally. That, that you was, know, now that you mention that, I'm pretty sure that's what I did as well. <laughs> like, same thought process. So uh, so you, you face down Saren, and uh, meanwhile, everybody else is facing down Sovereign in all of their giant spaceships and stuff like that. And uh, you can, if, you, if you've got enough Paragon, you can convince Saren that he is indoctrinated. And then he'll kill himself. Or if you're Renegade, you just kill him. Uh, and, uh, and, and that ends that threat, and you're like, okay, cool. And then they take down Sovereign uh, as, as a giant galactic force. Es essentially, every single ship... That the galaxy can muster, <laughs> right? That well, the Citadel can muster. Ex except the other thing too is that you you take down Saren, but then regardless of which way you take him down, he comes back as like kind of one of the husks that you've been fighting yeah. the whole time, like with Sovereign just <clears throat> taking control of him, and he's all glowy red and freaky. Yeah, because this whole time, every time you encounter him, he seems more and more kind of uh, devolved and like, and not devolved, but like taken over by this by this synthetic force. Like, he's just more and more warped and twisted looking. Um, and then, yeah, yeah he, he essentially becomes a husk. And you have to fight him again. He's being controlled by Sovereign. 
Yeah. So it's almost like, at least kind of the way I saw it when I was playing the game, is it's like Sovereign almost transferred his conscience into Saren or something mm. like that. And so, and so when you kill Saren, that's what finally leaves the big ship vulnerable Yes. for all your space forces to, you know, they open fire and you see your pilot Joker on the Normandy does this cool maneuver where he like flips around and fires missiles and, you know, then the whole big ship goes boom and yeah. you finally beat it. So. so, yeah, you beat it. The council hopefully is safe if you've made the right decisions. Uh, and uh, everything's all hunky-dory. Uh, you know, you get a medal and everybody's happy and, and uh, you're sad because one of your friends is dead, but most of your friends are still alive. Uh, they, they make one of the... Well, they make Counselor Udina or I think... How do they do it? I think you it's, get to make a choice, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. As Shepard, you get to pick. It's either Udina, uh, what's his name, Amba or he's Ambassador Udina, Ambassador Udina, or Captain Ambassador Admiral Anderson. Or, yeah, uh, I think he's, just, he's still just Captain Anderson at this point, right? Okay. Yeah, maybe. And what you can make one of one of the two of them a uh, the human, basically the new human uh, counselor. Yeah. So even, even if you did save the council, they like. They're like, you know, we appreciate what humanity's done for us and we'll let you be a part of the council now. Yeah. Um, or if you kill them, you're just like, we're going to make a new council and take over the galaxy for humans. Yeah. Uh, so that happens. End of game. Uh, and then there's a there's a downloadable game, uh, downloadable content in there where you can... Uh, uh, these, this species called the Batarians, who used to be on the council, but because they were a little bit too aggressive, they got kicked off the council. Uh, they decide that they're going to launch asteroids uh, at a... Is it a human colony or is it Earth? No, it's a human colony. It's a human colony. Yeah, and it's just... From they, a space station. They, they hijacked, like, one... Well, no, it's not even from a space station. I think they just hired, like, hijacked this giant asteroid where people were, like, mining and stuff. Yes, that's right. And they kind of turned the... They kind of, you know took these mining drills and turned them into yeah. big engines to like propel the asteroid towards the planet. Yeah. And so, so you got to stop them and shut that down. But yeah. I mean, that doesn't really have a huge impact on the larger story. That's kind of no. just more, and it's a fun mission. I like doing it. It is. A, it's a very fun mission. So if you, it's called bring down the sky. So if you're going to play through the games, definitely download that. Uh, Cause it's worth the time. Um, so then we get into mass effect two In mass effect two, uh, what we end up with is you're you're a uh, human specter and you're going around the galaxy being a hero and stuff. You get to this planet and you're in the middle of a fight and these guys called the Collectors show up, who have this really weird ship that looks kind of half organic, half technology, and it's essentially just a big gun. Think the Death Star <laughs> Super Laser without the Death Star around it. Um, yeah, more like a column of rocks around it. Well, it's actually, it's really funny because that ship is essentially the Darksaber, which is from uh, uh -huh. the Star Wars Expanded Universe, with some asteroid chunks attached to it. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. So uh, these guys, the Collectors, are kind of a threat that you've sort of heard about, but they're more a rumor than anything. Um, but they destroy your ship, the Normandy, with you on it, you stay behind to save everybody else evacuates it but you stay behind to save the the helmsman joker your your pilot um 
and uh, who has brittle bone disease, by the way, and and is played by Seth Green and is one of the best characters in the entire trilogy. <laughs> uh, you say, stay behind to save him, get him to an escape pod because he can't get there by himself, save his life, but then the ship explodes around you and you die. And now we're talking the first, like, 15 minutes of the game. Like, yeah. you haven't even gotten to do anything yet, and you're already dead. So you're yeah. dead. And, and you're not, like, incinerated from the ship explosion. You're kind of left floating in space. Floating in space, And then, yeah. and then your suit ruptures so you can't breathe, and then you fall to this planet, and you, like, burn up on reentry and then yeah. crash. So you're yeah. pretty screwed up. Yeah, so, so you're, yeah, you're pretty messed up. But uh, this, this, these bad guys called Cerberus, who you kind of encountered in the first game, uh, and, like, they were trying to yeah. also replicate the Thorians, and they were also trying to replicate the Rachni, and they were well, also... They were doing a bunch of genetic manipulation along the same lines of what the... Uh, of what Saren and the Geth were doing in the first game. But they're really super... Like, the, if you didn't play any of the side quests or didn't pay attention to the side quests, you'd completely miss them. Yeah, exactly. Because I think the first time I played through Mass Effect 1, I was kind of, I don't know, I kind of got caught up in the story and didn't want to take a lot of time to do the side quests because, yeah. the you know, it kind of propels you forward. Like, oh, now we got to get to here. And, it you know, always seems Sam, really urgent. Yeah. Stop Sam from doing this. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I barely did any of the side missions the first time I played it. And then, you know, in Mass Effect 2, everybody's kind of like, oh, Cerberus is bad and blah, blah, blah. And I was kind of like, okay, I'll just take your word for it. Yeah, and then once I went back and played Mass Effect One again and did more of the side missions, and then I get to Mass Effect Two, I'm like, "Oh, that Cerberus! You guys are jerks." <laughs> yeah, so Cerberus finds your body and rebuilds you. There's a guy who controls Cerberus called the Elusive Man, and uh, played by Martin Sheen, and uh, just fantastic voice acting. Some of the best voice acting in video games. Yeah, um, and uh, he rebuilds you because. You are the only one who understood the Reaper threat, and you warned the council, and they ignored it. And he he believes you. He he has certain proof that what what you say is true, and that the Reapers are coming, and that the galaxy needs to be ready for it. The council has has gone. We destroyed Saren or uh, Sovereign, and and we defeated Saren. So obviously the Reapers are done for. Like we we did it. We stopped them. Yeah, um, and they they kind of wrote it all off after yeah. the fact. Is like that was just a geth a geth uprising. Like yeah. they don't even admit that the reapers exist. So yeah, so so you're kind of on your own, uh, and and the elusive man comes along, rebuilds you, brings you back to life, and uh, and says the collectors have something to do with the reapers. They're using reaper technology. You need to stop the collectors. They're called the Collectors because what they do is they go to planets and they collect entire races. So they'll just go to a, an Earth colony on a planet, which they have been doing, and they just, like, the colony just disappears. So, uh, so the elusive man says, go, we have reason to believe they're going to be on this planet called Horizon. Go get there first, stop them. And, uh, and, and, you know, save, save this colony. And if, if you're a good guy, you're kind of like, well, I don't want to work for Cerberus. But if what they're saying is true, they've rebuilt the Normandy as a bigger, badder, more hardcore ship than it was before. They've rebuilt you. They've got some of your friends working on this ship. And, uh, and essentially they go, you know, like, go, 
recruit people, stop them on Horizon, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, and then go find the collectors and defeat them. So, so you go to Horizon, when you get there, either, uh, Ashley or Caden, whoever survived, is there, says, what are you doing with Cerberus? I thought you were dead. I can't, I don't trust you. I can't trust you. And then the collectors show up and then the collectors collect everybody. <laughs> yeah. uh, they send down these bug things that when they sting you, you essentially like you're paralyzed in place. And then the collectors come along. They're these giant like crab monster, like humanoid crab monster things. Uh, and they, they take everybody back to their ship. Uh, you kind of stop them, but not really. Uh, they get away with some people, but you save some people. Uh, and then the elusive, you know, after that, the elusive man's like, good, we got lots of good data on them. We have information, but now you need to go and you need to, they, they escape through the Omega four relay back into sort of unknown space, uh, like uncharted space because the, the, the Omega four relay, anybody who's ever gone through it has never come back. So so the collectors escape through that, and the elusive man's like, Kate, what you need to do is you need to put together the best team possible, and you're going to go through the Omega-4 relay, and you're going to stop the collectors once and for all. So you go through, and you collect, <laughs> uh, you, you yourself collect, uh, a squad, essentially a team of like the best of the best in the galaxy. Um, this is a point where I'm probably going to need to bring up the wiki in order to remember all of the characters. But I'll oh, well, I, I could probably list them all off. Can you? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you got um, Grunt, who's a well. You you first go after Okir, who's this Krogan kind of mad scientist. But um, you get there, you find out he's like breeding an army of Krogan for this mercenary or something. Anyways, she kills Okir. You kill her. And the only thing you get out of it is, like, kind of this pure tank-bred Krogan named Grunt, who, um, you know, is like a like a bred super soldier, basically. Um, so he's like this, and he's kind of young and has, you know, like, identity issues, or he's like, you know, I didn't learn this in the tank, and I'm trying to figure out, like, what all this means and stuff. But he's basically your, your Krogan super soldier. Mm -hmm. um, you get Garrus and Tally back from the first game. Um, you find Garrus on this play, uh, asteroid colony thing called Omega, which is kind of like the you know it's it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yeah, and uh, Garrus is kind of taking it upon himself to go out there and be a vigilante and just kind of fight crime bosses and drug dealers and stuff. So you recruit Garrus, um, you recruit Tally out with her people. They're having more problems with the Geth, and you got to sort all that out. Um, you get Jack, who's a kind of biotic psychopath prisoner person. You f and you find out she had had a really messed up childhood where she was working, you know, at this Cerberus base where they would take kids and do all these brutal experiments on them, basically trying to turn them into these super biotic warriors, but kind of turning them into really damaged people along the way. Um, so you get Jack, you get Morden Solis, who's a Solarian scientist. Um, who you basically get him before you go to Horizon because they need him to develop this cure that'll make you immune to, like you said, those collector little stinger bug things yes. that paralyze you. So uh, he's kind of essential to you know just the all the data and research that you're kind of collecting along the way. 
Um, and he, and he turns out to be one of the key scientists who created the genophage, right? Which is a is super important part of the 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 further story. Yeah. Um, so that's everyone you get before Horizon, and then well, you get Tally afterwards, but then you also get Samara, who's a a sorry sort of um, I don't know lone warrior. I guess you'd say they're called Justicars, but they're um, kind of this mystical order of they're kind really of like powerful Jedi. Stars. They are kind of like Jedi, yeah, but they're a little bit more brutal. Kind of, kind of. Uh, there is no dark side or light side. It's just like this is the code and this is what you do. So, yeah. uh, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're hardcore and they're kind of the best of the best, the most powerful, sorry, uh, biotics. Yeah. Oh, and then of course I forgot to mention, you get Jacob and Miranda who are your <clears throat> yeah. two squad mates that you start off with. They both work for Cerberus, but they're both, I mean, they're not like, um, I don't know, kind of hardcore, like, human extremists, I guess you could say. Like, Miranda works for them because, like you said, she's genetically enhanced and all this kind of stuff, and it's really kind of the only place where she's found acceptance and kind of, like, yeah. a purpose. You know, kind of her calling is, like, working for these guys who really appreciate her talents and stuff. Yeah. And then Jacob is an ex-Alliance soldier who kind of is kind of like Shepard in that he joined up with Cerberus just because he kind of got fed up with all the Alliance, like, bureaucratic bullcrap and all that. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's just sort of along for the ride, I guess, trying to do the right thing and do the good stuff that Cerberus does, I guess. But he's not, maybe not necessarily fully committed. Yeah. So you start you you start off with those guys, and then you get Garrus, uh, Garrus, Morden, Grunt, and Jack. Then you go to Horizon, and then you get Samara. You get Thane Krios, who's a Drell, which is um, pretty much lizard people. Yeah. But uh, he's pretty cool. He's an assassin who uh, has, like, these deep religious beliefs, and so he'll kill someone and then pray for their soul. And then uh, and he also has a disease that's killing his lungs, and so he's kind of slowly dying in those, you know, just kind of this stuff that makes him a really interesting, complex character. Yeah. Even though on the outside he's just this awesome assassin who can, you know, sneak around and kill people and is all flat uh, flexible and acrobatic and, you know, snapping necks and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then you... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and the, and then there's, there's a... I think that covers all of the, the main characters that you can get. Oh, no, there's one other character. Super important. Yeah. And that's Legion. Uh, Legion is actually uh, one of the Geth. And uh, he's sort of separate from from the Geth hive mind. He isn't like, he's still connected to the Geth hive mind, but he's decided that they, for one reason or another, that he's going to, to be separate and he's going to help you. Um, yeah. I don't remember exactly what it, what it came from, what his story was. Do you remember his storyline? Not exactly. I mean, I know it's kind of unclear. <laughs> he doesn't quite give you some straight answers because yeah. he also, on his you know metal synthetic body, has like a piece of your old armor from when you died. Yeah, and you never really get a straight answer from him on how he got that or like where he got it from or anything or why he's wearing it. Yeah, but he essentially but you, he, you 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 really get the sense that he's kind of unique and yeah. you know. He's an, indiv he's an individual within the Geth consciousness, which is, 
which is really strange. And yeah. he he sustained massive damage to himself, and and I uh, you're kind of led to believe that that's that's what made him sort of essentially short circuit and and become this individual within the Geth, Geth consciousness, and then he attaches the N seven armor to him. And so he's got this weird connection to Shepard that we never really fully get uh, uh, that I know of. Uh, and, you know, I'd have to look into the character a little bit more, I think, to, yeah. to know, but for sure. But um, but you also learn from talking to Legion that, like, not all the Geth are bad. Yeah. Because you've, you've got the, the kind of true Geth, I guess, or whatever, that he's part of, and then you've got what they call the heretics, which are the ones who, you know, as soon as Sovereign and the Reapers showed up, they were like oh, yeah, we'll join you guys and, like, let's take over the galaxy for machines. And, you know, so it's like some Geth don't let, don't trust the Reapers and some of them kind of worship the Reapers as gods. And so yeah. there's kind of two factions and the only ones that you've seen so far are the bad ones. Yeah, so I, so that's all of the main main characters that are actually in the game proper. Uh, there is a, a DLC uh, for a character called Zaid, who is essentially a mercenary. Not much else to say about him. He's kind of like a Boba Fett-ish wannabe character. Uh, he's yeah. kind of the most badass mercenary you've ever encountered in the series. Uh, he's also not a very likable character. Um, and he's he's really more obnoxious than anything. He's kind of got this South African accent. and uh, You can tell that he's not a good dude. Um, and then there's Kasumi, who is... Uh, a thief and sort of a, a, a tech specialist. She's kind of like a ninja, sort of like like a, a, a female version of, of Thane, but not the same species. Uh, I yeah. think she's but human, also, isn't she? Yeah, 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 she's human, but not not as much um, kind of fighting prowess, I guess you could say, just more sneaky and... Yeah, yeah, you know, she's... Turn invisible and sneak into places, and yeah, she's just a massive thief. Yeah, she's like a thief, hacker, sort of infiltrator. Um, yeah. So yeah, so you you put together this crack squad over the course of the game. You learn about all of their backstories, which we won't go into too much. Uh, you develop uh, relationships with them, uh, and uh, you know uh, by speaking with them and stuff, then they'll ask you to do a loyalty mission. Based on that loyalty mission, if you essentially help them fulfill it, or you stop them from fulfilling it, they'll become loyal to you. The point of getting them loyal is that when you go through the Omega-4 relay, you want everybody to trust everything that you say so that, because because these are not, not they're not really soldiers, so they're not just going to listen. They're going to uh, sort of think for themselves, but that's why you've put them together, because you need them because they're the best of the best, but you need them to listen to what you're going to say. So the loyalty right. missions are important from that aspect. Um and it's not also just listening to you necessarily, but also, I mean, some of these... <laughs> Working together, yeah. Right, right, because these loyalty missions, like, deal with stuff from their past, and so sometimes it's just a matter of, like, going with a clear head and not yeah. like, kind of, like, having baggage weighing on you. Yeah, so, I before you can go through the Omega-4 relay, though, you need this thing called the Reaper IFF, uh, which is essentially, uh, it's like, it's a friendly fire uh, communication system, so that the Reapers won't fire on one another in, in the middle of a huge firefight, in the middle of a big space battle. So, uh, in fact, 
super super cool concept and and something that i i'm sure is somewhere in the star wars universe but that i've never encountered and would make for an excellent storyline in an episode of clone wars uh is finding you know like a separatist iff so that you could essentially be cloaked and uh and and they wouldn't be able to fire on you so that's the whole point of that right. so well, except i think the the reason you need it is because when they say no one's ever gone through the Omega Four relays, yeah. you kind of—I I guess maybe it's just a theory that they come up with or something. But it's like you don't know exactly where the relay is going to shoot you out. Yeah, and so you need that IFF to like allow the relay to pinpoint you exactly where the collectors are or something. Well, and also the collectors have Reaper drones around their ship, so these. Well, yeah, except, except those still shoot at you once you get there, but. Yeah, but they can't target. But they can't automatically target you. They can only manually target you if you have the Reaper IFF. Oh, so okay. that was the point of that was one of the points of getting the Reaper IFF. So they get it. Um, when they get it, because they go onto a derelict, dead Reaper shell, uh, in order to get it. Uh, when you're on it, the ship gets attacked. And when the ship gets attacked uh, by the collectors, your entire crew gets taken. Except for Joker, who manages to uh, to essentially evade them, and then get back control of the ship by uh, by I'm I'm pretty sure it's by unshackling Edie, right? Which oh, is the yeah, yeah. But you know, it's not while you get the IFF. It's like you go get the IFF, and then Edie has to like install it into the ship and test okay, it out yeah, with the systems. Yeah. So you go off on a mission by yourself, and while you're off on the mission, yeah, that's right. She she installs the IFF and it like broadcasts your signal to the collectors, and so they just show up and take everyone on the Normandy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, Joker manages to to get back control of the ship, and then come get you. But unfortunately, everybody else has now been captured by the collectors. So this is the point where it's like this is the point of no return. Like you're going through the Omega Four relay, and you're gonna kick button take names and uh and and you know save hopefully save your 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 crew members uh some of whom are your friends and uh take down the collectors and stop the reapers from being able to invade hopefully um and you know find out what they're up to and why they've been collecting all these humans so you do that you go through the omega-4 relay you shoot out on the other side a wicked cutscene goes goes on, and it, depending on your loyalty missions and how much you've upgraded your ship, and a bunch of other stuff, uh, you either make it through that by the seat of your pants, or you make it through like a boss. And either way, you kind of pretty much have to crash the ship, the Normandy, onto the collector ship or the collector base, and uh, and then infiltrate their base. You do that, you take your squad with you, there's a whole bunch of different obstacles, different characters are suited for different things along the way on this mission, so uh, you have to make choices of who's going to do what, and I uh, won't go too into details on that, uh, but you have to yeah. make choices of who's going to do what, and depending it, on it, that, different people will survive. Yeah. <clears throat> um, if you make all the right choices, if you make the smart, intelligent choices, if you... Uh, trust certain characters the way that you're supposed to trust them. You just sort of have to follow the story cues of, of who who's your who's your best friend and who's the best soldier and who's your love interest and who who all these different characters are. 
send them in different places to do different things. Hopefully everybody survives. If not, some people die. Hopefully not everybody dies. You get to the end and you find out that the collectors have been uh, harvesting human beings in order to get their genetic material and create a human reaper hybrid. You fight this giant human reaper hybrid, which is this stupid, horrible boss fight at the end of the game. <laughs> it's pretty much this giant half-skeleton hanging, and it shoots big beams out of its chest and eyes and stuff, and it tries to kill you. Uh, and you defeat it, you, you blow it up, it's destroyed, and uh, the elusive man contacts you and says, okay, you need to collect that thing, you need to take the Reaper, the collector base, and bring it back. I need that information in order to stop the Reapers, in order to, to defeat them, and stop them from being able to invade. Uh, and we, like, we need that that big monstrosity bastardization of human and and uh, reaper and collector technology um and you make the choice either you give it to him and let let him do his experiments with it in order to defend the galaxy or you go no this thing's an abomination and it needs to be destroyed it like it's not of any use to anybody it's just disgusting so just destroy it so you make that choice the elusive man either respects you for your choice of giving him the stuff, uh, but then considers you a liability to a certain degree, <laughs> uh, as we find out in Mass Effect 3. Uh, or you say, screw you, and he goes, okay, if that's how you want to play this, that's how we play this, and you know, I'll make your life a living hell, and all that sort of thing, and you, know, you won't get away with it. All the sort of things that bad guys say. The whole game, yeah. you've been going like, is the elusive man a good guy? Is he a bad guy? I can't tell. It's in that moment that you really, really discover, yes, he is a bad guy. Uh, he his, his end game may be the same as you, but his reasons and motivations are completely different. So uh, that brings us to Mass Effect 3, essentially. Either all of your friends have survived or all of your friends have died or maybe some of your friends have died and some have survived if you know what you're doing when you're playing video games hopefully all of your friends have survived uh, particularly your love interests uh, you start Mass Effect 3 in detainment uh, yeah well let's talk about the uh, the arrival DLC from Mass okay, Effect 2 yeah, because that sure. actually does kind of tie into the beginning of Mass Effect 3 because if you don't do the arrival DLC you kind of are just left with the impression that in the beginning of Mass Effect 3, you're on Earth, you've been, like, stripped of your rank and yeah. um, basically, I don't know, grounded from your ship and all that. And it kind of just makes it seem like because you've been working with Cerberus and going and doing all this rogue stuff around the galaxy that you got in trouble for that. Yeah. But they came out with a DLC mission after Mass Effect 2 that sort of <clears throat> is supposed to kind of be, like, a direct prequel to Mass Effect 3, where you get uh, contacted by Admiral Hackett, who was in a lot of the first game, but he's kind of just a voice that, like, gives yeah. you missions and stuff. And so uh, in Mass Effect 3, is, or in Mass Effect 2, is the first time you meet him in this arrival mission. And he tells you about a scientist friend of his who discovered proof that, like, the Reaper invasion is imminent, So and she's been captured by Batarians, and so you have to go to the Batarian colony and rescue her from their prison. And then she takes you to her, like, the base of just what they call the project, which is kind of where they discovered that the Reapers are coming and how they're planning to stop it and all that. 
and they've got like a countdown timer that you know basically says that the Reapers are going to be there in like just over two days, like two days and a few hours. And uh, you're like, well, how do you know all this? And she's like, we found out from a Reaper artifact that we found. Yeah. And so she takes you to the like the middle of their base where they've got this Reaper artifact just sitting there, and Shepard's kind of like something's going on here because usually if something like this happens, people get indoctrinated. Yeah. So you go up to the artifact, you see, you know, you have a vision kind of like the same thing that they've seen that the Reapers are coming soon. And then, um, you know, right after you see that vision, you wake up and all these, you know, all the scientists there start attacking you. Um, and basically like no matter how long you survive, even if you survive all the enemies, like you get knocked out anyways. And so it's like, if you die on that part, you don't actually die. You just get knocked out and then they, uh, kind of take you prisoner or whatever. You wake up two days later and this Reaper invasion is going to happen in like a few hours. Hmm. And, uh, they're coming in through this, through a mass relay that's like out on the edges of space on this remote Batarian colony. And the original idea of this project that they had was that they were, they basically built their base on this asteroid. And in fact, it's kind of similar to that bring down the sky mission we were talking about in Mass Effect 1. But they're going to propel this asteroid into the mass relay and destroy it. And uh, then they all got indoctrinated and decided that the Reaper invasion was a good thing. But now you as Shepard are like, no, mm -hmm. Reaper, inv Reaper invasion is bad. So we're going to keep this asteroid on course and blow up the relay. So you got to basically fight through the base and, you know, take out all these guys and set the asteroid back on course. But the problem is with the, uh, with the mass relays, because they contain so much energy that if you just destroy one, it's going to create this massive explosion that's going to wipe out this entire solar system where there's a Batarian colony with like 300,000 Batarians on it. Yeah. So it's, and it's the largest Batarian colony, isn't it? Isn't it sort of there because they don't really have a home world anymore? I don't think. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Uh, I seem to recall that from uh, just from like the conversations and stuff in Mass Effect Three. That, well, like, I, I know. by doing it, you killed most of the Batarians in the galaxy. There aren't a lot left. Well, also, I remember from Mass Effect 3, the Batarians were, like, the first ones to get hit by the Reapers, and so yeah. the Reapers kind of wiped them all out anyway. So, yeah, there aren't many Batarians in Mass Effect 3, but the ones that are are mad at you about this thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you crash this asteroid into the into the mass relay. I mean, you can make the Paragon a renegade choice to just go ahead and do it or to try to warn the Batarians to evacuate first, but either way, you don't get the message out in time. So you crash the relay, you stop the Reapers from advancing because uh, like right before the um, right before you crash the asteroid, you get a communication from the main Reaper, like Harbinger, who's been kind of threatening you the whole time in Mass Effect 2 also. And he's like, you know, this is just a delay and we'll still come and we're still going to annihilate you and there's nothing you can do about it and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I mean, you get to a shuttle, you evacuate and this asteroid crashes into the mass relay and wipes out the whole solar system. And so then you go back and talk to Admiral Hackett and explain all this stuff to him. And he's like, you know, I agree with what you did. You did what you had to do. I believe you about the imminent Reaper invasion. But, you know, there's going to be some political blowback on this because you killed 300,000 Batarians. Like, they're going to want, you know, revenge, basically. And yeah. because because we got to prepare for an imminent Reaper invasion, we can't stop to have a war with the Batarians. So you're going to have to answer for this. Like, you know, we're gonna, to avoid conflict with them, we're going to have to punish you. Yeah, And so, I mean, that doesn't happen in the mission, but he basically says it's coming soon, so be ready. And so that's why you start off Mass Effect 3, you're at Earth, you're 
you know, kind of stripped of your ship and your crew and all that. But then they, you know, at the start of Mass Effect 3, they call you back and they're like, hey, something's going on here and we think it might be this Reaper thing that you've been telling us about and we weren't listening, but now we want your help. Okay, so that brings us to Mass Effect 3. You're in detainment, uh, and Anderson comes to you and goes, okay, uh, you, you've got a meeting with the, uh, with the Earth Council. Uh, the Earth Alliance Council, so let's go, and you get there, and they're like, uh, yeah, so we're pretty sure that the Reapers are like, they're gonna be here soon, so what do we do? And you really don't have a lot of choices of things to say to them, and you're like, well, we either stick together or we die. And they're like, really, that's it? That's your whole plan? Stick together? <laughs> and, uh, and as you're having this conversation, and as they're about to give you crap for, uh, for what you're saying to them, which is like, we need to be a team. Ducks fly together. Like, it's like the beginning <laughs> of Mighty Ducks or something. I, the Reapers attack Earth. And they're like, holy crap, how did they get here so fast? We thought that they were, like, that we had time to prepare. And they're, like, they just wiped out all of our defenses at the edge of the solar system by the mass relay. And essentially... What's happening is that Harbinger is just a little bit pissed off with you for destroying, defeating the Collectors, and uh, killing Sovereign, and like they, like the Reapers know who you are. And when a galactic uh, civil, like a, a, the the oldest species in the galaxy, knows who you are as an individual and wants to kill you, that makes your home planet kind of a really big target. So, so essentially, the Reapers start their invasion with Earth. Like, they, they go, okay, yeah, we're going to take Earth, and that's going to be our base. That's where we're going to set up shop. So, they show up. They start destroying everything. Uh, they actually, you're in Vancouver, <laughs> the capital <laughs> the capital city of Earth, uh, which is where I live, which I find very funny. Uh, the reason why they did that is because BioWare is a Canadian company. They wanted to pick a coastal city as the capital, and uh, I think they're based out of Edmonton, which is sort of it's Western Canada. So Vancouver is the closest to them. So well, anyway. it didn't didn't they also? I think it's some like maybe I've read this somewhere, but I thought it was supposed to be some giant city that was like a combination. Like they merged Vancouver and Seattle, basically. It is. It's essentially Vancouver, Seattle, as well as like a bunch of other areas around Vancouver. Yeah. Um, so it kind of, it merges them together and there really isn't a Canada or United States anymore, but they call it Vancouver. So um, they refer to it as Vancouver several times in the game. So I, and, and the landmarks and everything, like where you are is right in downtown Vancouver. Uh, for most game gamers who play the game, they're just going to look around and go like, oh, we're on earth. It's, you know, it's just, it's earth. For someone who lives in Vancouver, when they blow up that, that, the, the council room that you're in, and then you step out onto the exterior, like platform sort of thing, and you're running around trying to get to the ship, when you look across the water... <laughs> You're literally looking across the water to where I work, <laughs> to like where my office is, where I work. So like for me, it's like, well, that's very clearly Vancouver. The mountains are our mountains. Like they did an amazing job of recreating it. Anyways, that aside, uh, you escape Earth and Anderson pretty much goes like you're reinstated, throws you back your dog tags. Now go 
gather everyone in the galaxy together, all of the species, because we're going to need to work together in order to defeat these guys, because one of us alone is not going to do it. So you unfortunately have to abandon Earth. You feel like crap about it because you want to stay and fight, but it's essentially a lost cause. Like, the Reapers have already won by the time that they show up. So uh, it's kind of like the beginning of Independence Day. Like, they show up in every major metropolitan center and just start laying waste. Uh, and, uh, and there's not really anything you can do about it. So you leave. You go back to the Citadel, and the Citadel Council is like, yeah... Uh, we get it. Like you're really upset because it's Earth and uh, and that sucks and everything. But uh, but we can't just abandon everything else and go save Earth because like if the Asari put all of their ships toward it, they can just attack Thessia, the Asari homeworld, and you know uh, Palavin is currently being attacked by the Reapers. So if like obviously not as hard as Earth is, but if we left. You know, if the Turians took their armada, which is the largest armada in the uh, in the galaxy, they the Reapers would just essentially wipe wipe out everyone on Palavin. Um, and it's sort of the same story for a lot of the different species. Uh, and some of them just don't want to work with you, and some of them are just you know they just they're only worried about themselves. So this starts your quest to go across the entire galaxy. And, uh, and unite all of these disparate factions, including, like, you, uh, mercenary factions who were bad guys in previous games, uh, <clears throat> uh, species that don't want to work together, all that sort of thing. And all the while, Cerberus is kind of nipping at your heels, trying to find a way to control the Reapers. That's what the elusive man wants, is to control the Reapers. Because you you can't defeat them, they're too powerful, the only way that you can do it is to take control of them. That's that's how what he believes. So, we're not going to talk a ton about the storyline in Mass Effect 3, because uh, it's really dependent on everything that you've done in the other two games, how things play out. Uh, and it's really not that important. The end story is you've got to gather everybody together uh, and uh, and get the galaxy to rally and then take back Earth. That's the whole point of the game. So yeah. there are a couple of really important storylines that happen within that. Uh, and, and I think maybe we'll talk about three of them. One is between the Geth and the Corian. Uh, the other is between the uh, the Salarians and the Krogans, and then the other one is what the what Cerberus is up to. So let's start with the the Krogans and Salarians. Uh, essentially, there was a guy we talked about it before who was uh, trying to uh, cure the Genophage on Tachanka, which is the Krogan homeworld. Uh, he was doing it through all, he was a Solarian scientist, and he was doing it through all of these uh, ridiculous uh, experiments. Um, and, and he was just like, he was a butcher, essentially. I, you can stop him, or not, or you can kill him, or save him in uh, Mass Effect 2, uh, but essentially you stop his, his research, but you find out in Mass Effect 3 that he was actually successful. He did cure the genophage. But, uh, it's not perfect yet. 
uh, the the cure for the genophage is causing the the Krogan females that that have been cured to have a weakened immune system. So the Salarians have found these women, these these female Krogans that that have been cured by this guy, and pulled them out of Tachanka and taken them to the Salarian homeworld of Sirkesh, and you find out if Morden survived that he is at the the sort of the bleeding edge of this research to turn this cure into a viable cure for the entire species. You also find out that all of these females, there was probably like four or five of them, they've all died except for one. <coughs> mm-hmm. You have to save this female from uh, while you're there to get the female, take her back to Chichanka and and administer the cure. Hopefully, um, Cerberus shows up to take her in order to. And it's it's kind of unclear why Cerberus wants her, but mostly I think it's just to be a thorn in Shepard's side. Like it's just yeah. you you pissed off the elusive man, so now he's not gonna let you cure the Krogans. And use them as a weapon because, like that, it's just going to cause problems for him later. Yeah, uh, he he wants the Reapers to be able to overthrow the galaxy. He just wants to be in control of them. So you have to save this this uh, Krogan female. Uh, so <clears throat> hopefully you do. Uh, and if you do, then you can take her back to Chachanka along with Rex and Morden and I. Uh, they're the same thing that they used uh, to essentially to terraform the planet as well as uh, administer the genophage in the first place, Morden says we can use this to administer the cure. So he creates a cure on your way there, and you get there, uh, and the Geth, uh, not the Geth, the Reapers are there, and uh, they've figured out what you want to do. They already know. Um, and that sort of alludes to a connection between Cerberus and the Reapers, because how else would the Reapers know? Uh, so essentially there's a giant Reaper Destroyer, which is like a big, instead of the big Reaper spaceships, it's, it's a slightly smaller version, and it's kind of like a giant battle tank. Kind of like an AT-AT, but on a massive, like, like, skyscraper, larger than a skyscraper scale. Yeah, I mean, well, and the scary thing too is these things are like probably a quarter the size of the Reaper big spaceship dreadnought. The big things. ones, yeah, the but dreadnoughts. it's but it's still huge. Yeah, but it's still massive and bigger than most of the spaceships in the Alliance. So, uh, and definitely bigger than any of like their ground forces and stuff like that. So, I, uh, you're heading towards this thing, this big tower, to distribute the the genophage cure into the atmosphere. And as you're on your way there, you find out that there's this giant Thresher Maw, which Thresher Maws were in the other two games, and they're these big, they're these big sandworms, essentially, uh, uh, from, like from Doom. Uh, but uh, they've kind of got these big mandibles. They're more of like an insect uh, than, a, than a worm or, or, or a snake or anything like that. Um, and uh, you find out that there's this giant Thresher Maw in Tachanka, which is where Thresher Maws come from. And it's like, it's the queen of all Thresher Maws. And, and the, uh, the Krogans actually worshipped this thing at one point. And uh, Morden comes up with a plan to use 
the Thresher Maw against this Reaper Destroyer. So <laughs> you essentially summon the giant Thresher Maw to attack the 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 Reaper, and it does, and it's wicked, and there's an epic battle, and it's meanwhile trying to kill you while you're trying to summon the Thresher Maw, and then the Thresher Maw shows up, and you do all that, and then uh, Morden gets into the building, he goes up to the, they get in there, and they're like, okay, yes, we can do it, we can distribute the cure, but someone has to do this manually from the top of the tower. Meanwhile, like the tower is falling apart and parts of it are exploding. And it's like, we don't have time to discuss this. Morden's like, I got to do this. This was my, I'm responsible for the genophage. This is my sacrifice to make. He goes up in the tower and uh, it is, this is the first tearjerker moment of the game when he's up there and it explodes and it's crazy. And oh man, it's, it's killer. So, yeah. well, the other thing I was going to say, we should make point out like why all this is going on because you go to Palavin, the Turian homeworld, yes, to try to, to try to get support from them because, like you said, they've got the biggest fleet and the biggest military, and they're like, "Well, we'll help you out if you can get the Krogans to help us out." Yeah. So basically, in order to to get a treaty between the Turians and the Krogan, um, Rex, who if he's still alive is the leader of the Krogans now, he wants a cure for the Genophage. Yeah. So then you got to work with the Salarians and Morden to try to cure the Genophage so that the Krogans can go, yeah, the Krogans will be loyal to you, so they'll go to the Turian homeworld and help the Turians kick out the Reapers, and then the Turians and the Krogans will both be able to help you fight the Reapers yeah. off Earth when you need them. Yeah, so so you do that, you cure it, uh, the Genophage is now cured, and the Krogans are like, yeah, let's go help the stupid bird people. <laughs> so they they go with the, uh, the they essentially Rex takes all of the the Krogan forces and uh, reinforces Palavin and together the Turians and the Krogan start to actually beat back the the Reapers and uh, uh, so you leave them to that and uh, and they say you know like when the time comes and you guys need the the Turians and the Krogans they'll be there. Uh, and then some of the Solarians are like, yes, we'll be there too. And some of the Solarians are like, you cured the genophage. We can't stand for that. We won't help you. Uh, <clears throat> but later on, you get to turn them around to your to your cause. So uh, the next main story point that I would say is uh, when you go to, to a Geth Quarian space and you find out that the Quarians have essentially taken this opportunity with the rest of everything going on in the galaxy, to attack the Geth. Uh, they've, they've come up with, a, with new weapons and that sort of thing to defeat the Geth, to defeat synthetics, and, uh, and so they go, okay, this is our opportunity. While everything else is going on, we can take out the Geth and get back our homeworld, Rannoch, which the, you've, you, you sort, you've already heard a little bit of this storyline in 1 and 2, but you sort of get the full story, which is that the Quarians created the Geth as essentially a servant uh, uh, virtual intelligence, and as, as, as droids, essentially, like in Star Wars. But yeah. the problem is that eventually one of these Geth set, asked, do I have a soul? And it was at that point that they realized that they'd actually created an artificial intelligence, which is, first of all, 
against the rules. <laughs> the the Galactic Council doesn't like that because uh, artificial intelligence can be dangerous. Um, you're not allowed to create an artificial intelligence, and uh, and so then they go, okay, well we have to wipe them out then. So they go to wipe out the Geth so that they don't become a full blown artificial intelligence. And the Geth go, no, you can't destroy us. We we exist. Like that doesn't make any sense. Why would you destroy us? You created us, and it starts a war between them that lasts for generations. Uh, 400, 500 years, I think is what it is. Uh, no, like 200 or 300. Uh, and you find out, you get there, the the Koreans figure that they can finally defeat the Geth and take back their home world, so they launch a full-on assault on Rannoch and on the Geth, but only too late do they find out that the Geth have essentially been buffed by the Reaper invasion, and that the Reapers are using a control signal to make the Geth more efficient, more deadly, and more difficult to stop. So, Right. And like we said in, in Mass Effect 2, you find out there's like heretics, which are the ones that worship the yeah. Geth. And you could actually either, on Legion's loyalty mission, you could destroy all of those ones. Yeah. Or you could basically brainwash them and make them the good Geth. Yeah. But you, no matter which one you pick, in Mass Effect 3, it's like they're no longer sort of the evil minions that are like bowing down to the Reapers. Mm-hmm. No, this time the Reapers came in to attack the galaxy and the Geth were like, okay, these guys are synthetics, we're synthetics, and the Quarians are about to attack us. So, you know, even though we don't want to, it might be a they good may, idea to yeah. it might be a good idea to go to these guys for help. And like the Reapers offer to help them wipe out the Quarians because that's yeah. better for the Reapers because they're trying to wipe out everyone anyways. So they essentially like the Geth make a deal with the Reapers and yeah. and it and it gives them all of these enhancements, these Reaper enhancements. So you have to help. Legion shows up, and you find out that they're they were actually using using Legion as a as sort of a conduit to distribute this control signal. Uh, so you you rescue him essentially, shut down the control signal, but it's still there. Like you you think that you're going to shut it down, but it's still kind of going. And Legion says, "Okay, yes, you've shut down one of the 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 conduits, but they've got." more things broadcasting this control signal from all of these different places. But if we hit this one Geth server, it's big enough that not only will we shut down the Geth, we'll also stop the signal and, you know, like all this other stuff. So there's other optional missions like saving a a Quarian Admiral and stopping Geth fighter squadrons and stuff like that. But essentially, I... Legion leads you to this Geth server and says, okay, Shepard, you're going to interface directly with the Geth and you're going to go in and, and I get rid of the Reaper control signal from inside, like the Reaper control, not the control signal, but the Reaper infection from inside. And then Which shut I thought that, down. I thought, I thought that was the fighter base mission though. <laughs> I might be confused, but the, uh, the you're talking about the one where you go in that virtual world thing. Yeah, I thought that was the one where you. Shut oh no! Yeah, that was the fight. That was the fighter one, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. so no. kind of an important mission because you go in, you go inside the Geth consciousness, you shut down the fighter squadrons, but when you're in there, you find out like Legion finds out that there are 
geth consciousnesses inside that that want to ally with you so you actually end up with a bunch of geth that once the the reapers have been shut down once the reapers have been stopped uh, like from controlling the geth uh and you can essentially get this this conflict to end those geth will side with you and go and help you take back earth um so yeah I, the main mission then on Rannoch is to stop I can't remember is it well, stop you, their... you you basically are trying to as far as I remember you're trying to blow up like a reaper base which is where yeah. they're oh that's right because you, you have like an airstrike thing where you target the Normandy to come in with missiles and you're trying to blow up this reaper base where they're controlling the geth from yeah and so the right. Normandy comes in does an airstrike and you find out it's not a reaper base it's an actual reaper that yeah. you've now made mad at you so you got to outrun this reaper in your tank and then stop and blow it up by like targeting it with the airstrike thing again and get like the entire Corian fleet to do an orbital bombardment on it you find you find out that they were right all along in Independence Day, and when the bad guys go to fire their big weapon, that's when you shoot at them. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, because of the big red blinky light. Yeah, uh, unfortunately for you as Shepard, that involves narrowly avoiding the main weapon as it's trying to fire at you, yeah. as you're you know calling this orbital strike down. But then I think there's something where Legion gets some more code that could like be used to buffer up the geth which could then help them if they're gonna go fight you against the reapers it's like they're no longer under they're no longer under reaper control but they've you know he's got like this reaper tech that can upgrade them yeah it's essentially essentially what he gets out of the reaper information is what makes the reapers unartificial intelligence what makes them individuals and so it's that Reaper code. Right. He says, like, I can upload this to the Geth consciousness and it will make us just as powerful as we were before, but we'll be individuals. We'll be able to make our own decisions. We'll be separate from the Reapers and we won't be the Geth hive consciousness anymore. And if you do this, there are enough Geth within the consciousness, they'll still all be linked, so they'll still all be able to communicate with each other, but there'll be individual minds within the consciousness, that, and there's enough of them in there that will see this as a sympathetic action, and they will cease fire, they'll stop attacking the Quarians, the war will end, and will help you defeat the Reapers. So there's that, but then Tally is kind of like, you can't do that, you're just like you don't you you can't trust them like you can't yeah. trust the geth and she's like i trust legion but i don't trust the geth don't do it don't do it but then you can go no i'm doing it do it like don't and tally essentially is ready to kill legion and you yeah. have to talk well, her down the other thing it's not just tally and legion but the Corian <clears throat> fleet is prepping yeah. basically a counterattack against the geth fleet while legion is upgrading this thing so it's like the Corians are about to wipe the geth out yeah so you can either stop Legion from uploading that data and let the Quarians wipe out the Geth, or you let them continue up uploading that data, and it's going to make the Geth, like like you said, super smart and super powerful. Yeah. And even though they don't want to attack the Quarians, if they get attacked, they're going to retaliate, and so it's going to wipe the Quarians out. Or yeah. if you have you know a high enough Paragon or Renegade score, you can 
basically can help Tally talk down the Corian admirals so that they won't attack. So then you get the super upgraded Geth army and the Corians that can both help you fight the Reapers. Yeah. So that's the best outcome, and that is the outcome that I got. Yeah. Same uh, here. Was but unfortunately, Legion tells you at the last second. In order to do this, he has to uh, sacrifice his individuality in order to give individuality to the Geth. So yeah, he like, basically has to kind of disperse his consciousness among yeah, the Geth or something. Because so Legion is actually made up of 1,138 Geth consciousnesses together. He's, yeah. he's an in individual platform for 1,138 individual Geth consciousnesses that are a hive. And, and he goes like, look, it, I've, I've taken this code in, I've become an artificial intelligence and a true synthetic life form, but I have to sacrifice myself. And essentially he said, what he says is I have to give my soul, the parts of my soul that make me legion to make all of the guests individuals and give them all souls which it's just it's this excellent moment and in any science fiction it would be just so so incredible but within mass effect because you've you've created this scenario by trusting legion or not trusting legion because when you first encounter him in mass effect 2 you can choose to activate him or leave him inactive and destroy him. Yeah, or I think you can even sell him to Cerberus. <clears throat> yeah, so I don't know how that plays out in Mass Effect 3, but if you've made that choice, like, no, there's something about this Geth, I'm curious and I want to know more, and, and then you learn to trust him and you learn that he's actually a friend. Um, it's just this awesome fulfillment of a storyline. So, of yeah. all of the storylines that I got in Mass Effect 3, in, in the entire Mass Effect series, that was the one that was like, this is what it's about. Like, this is what, what this series is about. And you get to the end of the game, and you find out that they're actually kind of... Like, that is a nugget. That's a connection to the overall story, the overall theme of the entire series. So... Uh -huh. So that's that story, and then the last story is to do a Cerberus. Now this one's really cut and dry. The genetic scientist that created Miranda, that genetically engineered her to be a perfect human being, has also he also created her her younger sister. To oh, also... you're you're not going to talk about the uh, the Citadel? Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I, that's another big Cerberus plot point. I think. Yes, we get but, to that. Uh... We'll get to that. That that one is definitely important and it comes before this so yes yeah so you, fi uh, you find out that that udina who who uh is essentially the human counselor uh on the on the citadel has been working with cerberus the whole time and he essentially lets cerberus in through the back door and cerberus tries to take over the citadel and uh they they essentially launch an assault on the citadel and again this one's pretty cut and dry when you're there, though, this dude shows up called Kai Lang, who is uh, he's a hardcore badass. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a cyber ninja. You know what? I, I see him as, as Mass Effect's Darth Maul. Yes, Because absolutely. he's, he's the, the assassin enforcer kind of guy, works directly for the elusive man, and you don't yeah. really know much about him. And he, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of character development in the game. He just shows up to do awesome ninja stunts yeah. and fight people. Yeah. Um, so he shows up. 
and uh, and you know if Thane survived, he shows he he helps you to stop uh, Kai Lang from assassinating the council, uh, and then you know you save the council, and uh, but they they manage to get one of the counselors, uh, like Udina essentially has the counselors with him along with Ashley or Caden, whichever one of them survived, who is who's been a made a specter. And is like I, I have to protect them, and then you you show up and you're like Udina's with Cerberus. He's part of this. It's a trap, and yeah. hopefully, uh, either Kaiden or Ashley trusts you and goes okay, sure. Uh, and then you're given the choice: either either you shoot Udina or one of them will shoot Udina. Uh, and uh, and then you know if you the point of the whole mission is to save. The council. If you do, then the Solarians and the Asari both go. Okay, yes, you can have our forces to take back Earth. Uh, yeah, and and this is the point earlier where I was talking about too the kind of fulfillment with my storyline with Ashley, where this yeah. was the point after this mission where we finally got all this mistrust about me and Cerberus out of the way. Yeah, but it, you know it gets real tense right before then because like you basically, basically you and Ashley have guns pointed at each other because she's trying to pr stop you from getting to the council and you're trying to get her to get out of the way so you can stop Udina because she doesn't believe you that he's working for Cerberus. She thinks you're working for Cerberus and, you know, yeah. so it's all complicated and intense, but then you so, get to shoot him at the end. Yeah, so from there, uh, and at the end of the game, you find out that Cerberus, uh, the whole game you've been hearing about this thing called Sanctuary, which is a haven that someone has been building uh, to, to protect everyone from the Reapers. And people have been just running there in droves uh, to because it's it's apparently the last safe haven from the Reapers. Yeah, and it's on Horizon. And it's on Horizon. So you get there and you find out that it's actually... Well, you find out that, that Sanctuary and Cerberus are connected either through Miranda if she's still alive or through Oriana Miranda's younger sister. Uh, and you find out that Cerberus is behind Sanctuary and that her father is actually there performing some sort of genetic experiments. So you get there and you, like I said it's a pretty cut and dry thing. You get through and you find out that that uh, uh, Lawson the 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 Miranda's father has been uh, trying to find a way for uh, Cerberus to create their own husks and to use the Reaper's technology against them, as well as to create to to find a way to control the Reapers and the husks and and all of their forces. Because if they can control them, they can defeat them, right? Like yeah. they can essentially they can. They can either control the Reapers themselves or turn their husks around on them and destroy the Reapers with their with the army that the Reapers have created for themselves. Yeah. Well, and I think what they're trying to do, because like you said, the husks are created through, through Reaper tech, is, you know, servers got their hands on some Reaper tech, you know, made their own husks, and basically was like, if we can figure out how to control these things on a smaller scale, then we can, like, scale up that technology and figure out how to control the Reapers themselves. Yeah. So... You essentially put an end to that, but then you find out through there, like you, you, you uh, trace a signal, uh, you trace Kai Lang's signal back to the, uh, the Cerberus base where the Elusive Man is. 
so you follow him to the to the Cerberus base, and uh, this is the point of no return in the game, by the way. So at this point, like you can't do any other side missions or anything afterwards. It's just like it's from it's a it's a straight shot from here to the end of the game. Uh, yeah. So you 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 follow Kai Lang back to the Cerberus headquarters. You assault the Cerberus headquarters. You find out a little bit more about what they what they've been up to, what they're doing, why they brought you back, how they brought you back, how they brought Kai Lang back because apparently he was almost dead. He's got some of the same tech in him that you do, only his enhances him. So it makes him like a, a, a super, super soldier. Um, yeah, because Anderson says something about, like, he's fought Kai Ling before and he shot him in both legs one time, but then he came yeah. back even stronger. Yeah, with these new mechanical legs. Uh, yeah. So you get through there and you get to the... the... Uh, the end of it, and the whole the whole point of this mission was that you've been looking this entire game for a thing called the catalyst, which is essentially the firing mechanism for a machine called uh, uh, the Crucible, which uh, Liara found on uh, the Mars in the Mars uh, Prothean ruins, like the plans for this thing, which the Protheans were trying to build in order to defeat the Reapers. Yeah, so I mean, that's that's kind of what you're trying to do the whole game. Is, yeah, it's, that's part, is, of, what, is that's gather, part of gathering you know, everything. Gather forces to fight the Reapers and gather people to help build the Crucible, which is, you know, hopefully some super weapon that's going to destroy the Reapers, but you're not sure yet because yeah. no one's ever actually built it. Destroy the Reapers or control the Reapers, you don't know. Uh, the elusive man thinks that it's a machine to control the Reapers, and you hope that it's something to destroy them or defeat them or send them back to wherever they came from. Something. You just know that the Protheans have built it in order to end the, the war, end the conflict, and end the cycle. So uh, you're going after the Catalyst. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Uh, you get there to find out that the elusive man has bailed, but you find the Catalyst, and you find out that the catalyst is, in fact, the citadel itself. So now that you've got that information, you know that it's time to uh, to make your assault on Earth. Well, plus but the uh, before the, that, the, the elusive man is on the citadel, and yeah, Reapers just, have taken control of the citadel and moved it yeah. to Earth. Yeah, you like so. just when you're about to make the assault. You're like, okay, so we need the Citadel, so we need to move the Citadel from Citadel space to Earth, or like, and we need to join it up with the Crucible and attack them. And they're like, yeah, there's one problem with that, though, is that the Elusive Man has taken the Citadel. It's already at Earth, and the Reapers are using it to harvest Earth, and, and the, like, something's going on, like, something big. So, like, this is, this is it. Like, you either... You win this battle or you lose the entire war. So, uh, you assault along with everybody else, and hopefully it's a big army if you've done the, your job right, uh, with, you know, all of the different species and everything. Uh, they, and they're bringing the Crucible. Yeah, and um, just a freaking awesome cutscene with all those ships yeah. coming through the mass relay. But you are still going to have to make a ground assault. Yeah. Because what the the Reapers are doing is harvesting all these uh, husks and dead bodies and stuff like that from Earth uh, onto the Citadel. 
uh, with this beam. And so you're like, okay, so we need to get to that Citadel beam, which is focused in London, and uh, get onto the Citadel, deactivate whatever they're doing, stop them, and then link up the Citadel with the Crucible, and then activate the Crucible, and wipe out the Reapers, hopefully. They're, like, it's all totally a, a, a crapshoot whether or not any of this is going to work or do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So, you have a big ground assault. It's a crazy fight. I, uh, you know, you say your last goodbyes to everybody. Um, you get there. You're making your final assault on it. Pretty much everybody's been wiped out. Uh, like th this huge assault force. Uh, and there's only a few of you left, but it's it, you're in the home stretch. You can see the beam. You can make it. And so you start running towards it, and then a bunch of Reaper Destroyers drop down and uh, start firing on you, and they're wiping out people left and right. And then whether you want to or not, no matter how deft you are, you get hit by one of these Reaper Beams, which should be an instant kill, right? In any other yeah. circumstance oh, in the yeah, game, sure. if you get hit by a Reaper Beam, it's instant death. But, well, to be to be fair, you, it's not a direct hit, but it hits the ground like right in front of you, and yeah. you get knocked back by the explosion, and then you wake up, and you're all armors hanging off, and everything. You're yeah, all, like, so burning. so you wake up, and you're just totally trashed, and you've gotten the crap beaten out of you, but you're right there, like the beam is right in front of you. So you you essentially hobble your way to the beam, uh, and you're you're like half conscious. Uh, and you, all you have is a pistol, and a husk comes at you, and you take it out. You get into the beam, you're up on the Citadel, and you find out, like, you're on the Citadel, and Anderson has also made it onto the Citadel. So you make your way down the only path that you're given. You find out that the Citadel's been, like, rearranging itself from the inside. Like, all the walls have shifted around, and it's turned into this other thing. And you get to the, the main control, the only control that you can find... Uh, and Anderson gets there before you, but as you show up, the elusive man shows up as well. And now the elusive man, who's who the entire time has had like these weird synthetic glowing eyes that made him kind of off, but now he's like he's looking a little bit more like Saren, like he's been corrupted, and and the the Reaper tech is sort of like he's just got a kind of, this kind of black oozing thing like crawling up the side of his face from his jaw. Yeah. <laughs> And you're like, well, obviously he's been indoctrinated, which was something that you were kind of like, has he, hasn't he, is he still in control, is he not, like, what's going on the whole game, right? Like, you've been wondering and going like, he's acting like he's independent and like he wants to control the Reapers, but it could just be the Reapers tricking him into thinking that with indoctrination. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because it's so different from Saren because Saren was indoctrinated and like thinking that he was working with the Reapers. Yes. But, you know, in reality, he was just working for them and like he was thinking he was going to be a big part of their plans and everything, but really they were just using him. Whereas I think the elusive man like still thought he was in control. Like he thinks he's doing what's best for humanity and he's going to stop the Reapers and, you know, control them and use them for, you know, to help humanity dominate the galaxy when really the Reapers are kind of pulling his strings a little bit and sort of making him do things that they want him to do and making him think that it's what he wants to do. Yeah. So you get there and he, like somehow he's kind of got control of you 
and he's got control of Anderson, kind of. But you guys are both like struggling, and and uh, and he starts explaining like we can use the Citadel and the Crucible to control the Reapers. We can finally do it. Like it, it's it, that's what it is. That now that we have control of the Catalyst, we can control the Reapers. And he's like, you know do it like let's do it and you essentially you don't really have much of a choice you have several choices of how you handle it but at the end of the day it's like no you, you know you're you've been indoctrinated obviously um and you can either convince him to kill himself or you can kill him uh but he forces you to shoot anderson uh and and all that sort of stuff so i uh, like really really dramatic stuff but then once that's all done you and 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 uh, he's dead and Anderson's kind of dying. Uh, you move over to the console and you activate it uh, and and you you turn it on to sync up with the crucible and it does, but then nothing happens and you're yeah. like, you're like nothing's happening. Well, actually, don't. Um... Isn't it like the Alliance fleet that does it or something? Like they sync up the Crucible with the with the Citadel and then Hackett's like it's not firing, like nothing's happening. And then yeah. you try you try to go and hit the panel, but then you like pass out before you hit it or something like that. Yeah, essentially. And then you're kind of you you've passed out and you kind of get pulled up in this beam. Spoilers, by the way, in case we didn't mention that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this whole thing's been spoilers. We've, <laughs> yeah, we've talked about the entire story. Yeah. So. Uh, you get pulled up into the in, into uh, like the top level of of what is now the crucible, the the combined citadel and crucible, um, and the crucible itself kind of awakens and appears to you as this little boy that you saw get killed by the reapers at the beginning of the game, just sort of like this ghost apparition of of this little boy, and uh, and it essentially tells you that. At first, it tells you that it's the catalyst, and then it tells you that you're the catalyst, and it sort of it starts to tell you the story that it is the the first life in the galaxy, and they're the ones who built the citadel and the the mass relays and the reapers. They created the reapers in order to stop chaos from destroying the galaxy. Because there was a point that humanity, not humanity, but organic life reaches where it eventually creates synthetic life. And then that synthetic life rebels and then it becomes war and it becomes chaos. And the only way to control it and not have everything get wiped out is to hit the reset button on the organic life. So. Yeah, so they're basically like we're going to use the reapers and wipe out the galaxy with with synthetic life before yeah. the galaxy wipes itself out with synthetic life exactly so and and what they do is although they'll destroy all of the highly advanced species they'll leave all of the lesser species that are on the path to developing into a more prominent uh, and intelligent species so that the cycle can keep continuing so when uh, the Protheans were de uh, destroyed. The humans and the Asari and the Krogans and the Salarians were all, they all existed, 
but we like we were like cave people and the krogans were like like frogs and yeah like the asari were the most advanced and they they actually had an advanced civilization at the time that the protheans were interacting with that the protheans were sort of uplifting and giving them their technology um but i uh, but yeah like they were left alone when the reapers came the first not the first time, but the la- the first time that we know of, which is when they defeated the Protheans. Uh, so you find out that this has been going on forever, like since the creation of the galaxy, essentially. And that this cycle will continue forever as long as these, this original, these original beings have anything to say about it. But it gives you a choice. It says... Uh, you can either destroy the Geth, or sorry, the Reapers, but it will destroy all synthetic life in the galaxy. So that includes uh, that includes the Geth, which have now just become a true artificial intelligence and a true synthetic life form, and you were responsible for that. So that's hardcore. You'd be giving them sentience only to wipe them out, as well as uh, ED, which is the the artificial intelligence on your ship which now has a body and has developed a relationship with the ship's pilot joker <laughs> so yeah. well as as well as yourself because the thing mentions yeah. like is with all the implants and stuff that you got from cerberus at the beginning of mass effect 2 when they brought yeah. you back they're like you know it'll it'll wipe out all synthetic life so it'll destroy the geth it'll destroy the the Reapers, it'll destroy all the AIs and mechs and all that kind of stuff. And, like, you're partially synthetic, aren't you? So it kind of leaves you like, oh, I might kill myself with this. Yeah. So there's that choice. Or there's the choice to control the Reapers. Which you also get destroyed by. It's like you're going to lose your essence and everything that you are to take control. Yeah, essentially... Yeah, kind, same, kind of the same thing that Legion did to get yeah, together exactly. independence. So like you do the same thing to control the Reapers. Yeah. Uh, and if you were good enough at the game, if you got a good enough rating and you leveled up enough and you had a high enough Paragon or Renegade uh, rating, you'll get a third choice, which is Synthesis, which means that you'll take organic life and synthetic life, uh, machine life, and... Uh, and combine them so that there won't be a distinction, <clears throat> which uh, if you if you were to destroy all the synthetic life in the galaxy, that would only delay the cycle. It wouldn't stop it. All you'd be doing is destroying the Reapers, but eventually organic life would create another synthetic life that would do the same thing that the Reapers are doing, that would wipe out everything, only they wouldn't be controlled enough to leave any life. It would just destroy all life and there would be nothing left. So. Right. Except as Shepard, you try to convince this thing, like, you know, I just saved the, the Quarians and the Geth and proved that synthetic life can yeah. coexist with organic life, but exactly. they don't really do a choice. So. Yeah. So. At first glance, Synthesis seems to be the the proper ending, the true ending, right? Like, uh, especially because it only unlocks if you've done everything right in the game. Uh, Or not everything right, I should say, but if you've done everything completely, like if you've perfectly completed the game. Yeah. uh, Done all of your side quests, done, like, you know, you've got 
so many characters still alive and and you've fulfilled everything you've 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 got a full bar on the uh, galactic readiness all that sort of thing so that only happens if you get that so it leads you to believe that synthesis because it's somewhere in between the two is the correct answer but here's the trick controlling the reapers is what the elusive man wanted the whole time destroying the reapers is what anderson wanted and what shepherd wanted so you would think that destroying the reapers is the paragon choice and that uh controlling the reapers is the renegade choice but when you actually see it in the game they color the choice for uh, controlling the Reapers blue and destroying the Reapers red, which is the opposite. That's that's Paragon and Renegade, like mm -hmm. blue being Paragon, red being Renegade. So it makes you question it, and you're like, I don't know which one is the right choice. And then Synthesis is green, which you've never been given a green choice before. Yeah. So... But so, see, I, I, I kind of like how they twisted it, though, with the, mm -hmm. you know, with the Renegade and Paragon options for those two, because... Yeah, you're going to destroy the Reapers, but it's not how you thought you would. It's not like just targeting them and, yeah. you know, putting them down. I mean, like you said, you're wiping out all the other synthetic life in the galaxy along with it. And with controlling the Reapers, it's not necessarily that it was a bad thing that the Elusive Man was trying to do. It's more that, like, like we said, because he was indoctrinated and because he kind of had messed up motivations behind it, like he was going about it the wrong way, but it can be a good thing. Yeah, so this is where it gets tricky because you have these three choices. I chose Synthesis because uh, I thought that that was the right choice. Uh, I think you chose Synthesis as well, right? Yeah, I picked Synthesis yeah. too. Now, here's the thing. People got really pissed off because there was no way to win the game. It was a no-win scenario. In all three of these situations, you die. Uh, only in one of them do you ensure that all of your friends will survive and that synthesis, but it guarantees your death more than the other two. Like synthesis is like, you are the catalyst, you jump into the beam and you're, what, what is, what it could, because you are a synthetic organic, you are the blueprint for what becomes synthesis. So <clears throat> it just tears you apart. All, again, similar to the control and similar to what happens to Legion. It turns you into the blueprint for it and just sort of shoots you across the galaxy. Now, no matter what you do, the ending plays out very similarly, but in three different colors, red, blue, or green. Pretty much. Pretty much. The Crucible fires a big pulse in the Earth solar system, in, in Sol, in whatever color you've chosen, and I... Uh, either wipes out the, the, the Geth and synthetics, uh, the represent synthetics, uh, <clears throat> merges them with organics, or controls them, and so they walk away. And then the, the mass relay picks up the signal, like the Crucible shoots the signal at the mass relay, and then the mass relay in, uh, in the Earth solar system fires it to the next relay and then it starts a chain reaction where it starts firing to all of the different mass relays around the entire galaxy and where every mass relay explodes after it and fires. every mass relay explodes which leads us to believe that no matter what 
it's it's killing all life because if we learned anything from arrival is that if you destroy a mass relay it'll destroy the entire solar system right right now that doesn't mean that there's not planets with life on them that aren't part of those solar systems but all civilized life has essentially uh colonized near a mass relay Uh uh-huh and even if i mean because they don't necessarily show that Mm -hmm. i mean so so if I mean, that's kind of a plot hole because, like you said, from Arrival, that should have happened. But even if the mass relays didn't get destroyed, then you've kind of doomed, like, galactic civilization as you know it because there... Well, for one thing, I don't even know if the Citadel got destroyed or not, but it's probably not in great shape, I'm assuming. Yeah, it, all, there, you know, there's explosions no matter which choice you make, in, but only in the in the red one does it completely explode, where you're like, oh, that thing's done. Like, oh, in, the, okay. in the control one, there's explosions on the Citadel, but you're kind of like, oh, I could survive that, and I think it's the same with the synthesis. Oh, but, okay. But, yeah, then either way, you destroy all the mass relays, which is, like, how you travel throughout the galaxy, so yeah. there's really not going to be any sort of interstellar community and communication and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and then the, the end end is, no matter what, uh, it jumps to the Normandy and Joker piloting it through a mass effect slipstream to yeah, somewhere as, as the beam is also yeah. traveling through and like catching up with him and he gets yeah. overtaken and you think the normandy's been destroyed but but then it opens on this on a planet some weird like a, a a very lush jungle planet and depending on which choice you've made the leaves look slightly different uh because they're either uh, well, the only one where they look different is the one where it's synthesis, and then because then the the organic life also has technology running through it. Yeah. So, uh, no matter what, it essentially the cockpit, not the cockpit, but the the uh, hatch door opens. Joker comes out, and then he's followed by either Edie or Garrus, and then a couple of other squad mates. <clears throat> Uh, regardless of which squad mates you took down with you in the final assault, who you would assume died alongside you almost dying, or should be almost dead, or like at least severely injured, right? Like, yeah. like these are sort of the things that we can assume based on that last assault. So here's where the big controversy comes in. So there's a lot of people who are really pissed off. Uh, a, a lot of well okay we're considering it probably a very vocal minority but it's still a lot of people it's enough people to get get bioware to take notice yeah um, well and here's the thing like if you read it on you know news sites or something like they'll say it's a vocal minority mm-hmm. but everywhere i've read opinions i mean maybe i just have a kind of skewed viewpoint of it mm-hmm. but i really haven't seen I mean, I've seen positive opinions of it, too, but it doesn't seem like a minority to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, from just from, you know, reading the Bioware forums to reading other video game websites to, you know, talking to people I actually know who've played the game, it seems like, I mean, maybe not necessarily half, but it definitely doesn't seem like a small minority that were angry about the endings of the game. Okay, so here's the thing, though. You have to account for the fact that there are millions of copies that have sold. This is one of the best-selling games in recent history. Like, oh, yeah. They just sold so many copies, it's not even funny. 
that's that's a lot of people. We're talking about like when it comes to to the petitions and stuff like that, they've only reached several thousand. So we are literally talking about a minority. Like th- there's there's numbers to back that up. That there's millions of copies of the game sold. There's probably more people who have no idea that there is a controversy about the ending than there are people who yeah. di- who are being vocal and hated the ending. That's not to say that those people liked or didn't like the ending one way or the other. They they probably a lot of them are falling on the fact that they they felt unfulfilled by the ending. I think that that's that's going to be a very obvious consensus that people are going to come to. But the people that are protesting are a very vocal minority. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think you have a point there. That it's it's a vocal minority of the overall population of like people who've bought the game of like yeah. those millions of copies. But I think of the of the hardcore <clears throat> fan base, you know, the people mm-hmm. that have played through all three games multiple times, and the people who go, you know, post on the forums and stuff like yeah. that. I'd say it's definitely it doesn't seem like a minority to me. Yeah. So so here's the problem. People feel like a there isn't enough difference in the way that the game ended. Uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, you get a different color. Uh, I posted something recently on my Tumblr. I, they, the, one of the protests sent a bunch of, uh, uh, cupcakes with red, green, and blue icing at the point being they're all the same. These cupcakes are all identical. But, you know, like, oh, you get to make a choice as to which one you want, right? Like, which color that you want. That's the choice that we were given as players. So that's why a lot of people, that's how a lot of people feel about it. And I think that 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 campaign, that cupcake campaign, summed it up the best. Bioware was really classy, and instead of taking those cupcakes and eating them, donated them to a a youth shelter. So uh, good on you guys at Bioware for turning white is a protest and negative uh, uh, attitude into a positive, uh, whether or not I agree with the ending or not. Like, the way that they handled that was total class, so good yeah. for them. Uh, now, here's how I feel about the ending. And we're going to get into uh, a lot about the ending, uh, and there's, there's a theory out there that this may not actually be the end. But let's assume, before we get into that and start talking about that theory, that this is the end of the game, this is the end of the series, uh, not the end of the series necessarily, but the end of this trilogy, uh, and, and, and that's it for Commander Shepard. Uh, I accepted from the get-go in 3 that Shepard was going to die, uh, particularly because I was playing Paragon, so... My personal feelings when you get to the end and you're given three choices where you're pretty much going to die no matter what you, do, what you do, that was not unexpected for me. I, I saw that coming a mile away. It's been three games full of difficult choices. And, of course, the most difficult choice is self-sacrifice, right? Like, it's the, he, he's going to pay the ultimate price in order to save the galaxy. That's the fulfillment of this character. Now, I thought that the renegade choice would be to save yourself, but we weren't given that. So, I think that's where a lot of people are upset. Uh, The other thing is that there's no closure on any of the other characters. Having some characters crash land on some other planet and be okay, but now they're stranded on this other planet, 
and what does that mean for everybody and you know what like it's 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 so ambiguous that it's not really an ending right and i think that's a lot of people's problems now for me it's very similar to the ending of lost which i really enjoyed Uh uh-huh because for me lost was about the personal journeys and specifically jack shepherd (laughs) funny Uh coincidence there uh, because you could actually name your character Jack Shepard if you want, and uh, they look kind of similar. But that aside, uh, like it, it, you follow those characters along on that journey, and and it's the culmination of that journey. And I feel like that's what Mass Effect Three was as well. I've been following Commander Shepard along on this journey. He's been to hell and back, literally and figuratively on more than one occasion. Like, he's actually died and come back to life. So, <clears throat> he shouldn't exist anyways. He's, he's, he's an anomaly, and he's not... He shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be there to change things. And I think if you look at it from a spiritual point of view, uh, that's, that's one of the points, is that, like, he exists because synthetics and organics were melded together and it brought him back to life. And whether or not he's the same person is kind of up for debate. Uh, And whether or not that makes him a different kind of life form is up for debate. I personally feel that he is the same person, but that, like, he is a new life form. And that's why... uh, That's why Legion has a connection to him. That's why the storyline with Legion plays out the way that it does, because it's a parallel. Right, much in the same way that I talked mm-hmm. about earlier at the beginning of the podcast, that Miranda's a parallel form. So there's these parallels with them, and uh, it 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 the synthetic ending to me, regardless of the whole chunk at the end where Joker and whoever survive, that's regardless to me. The synthetic ending makes a lot of sense for my character and my story. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that being the ending of the series. The, the Reapers, the, it it doesn't mean that it's an end to conflict. It doesn't mean that it's an end to war. It just means that that conflict is at least abated for a time because now the Reapers are no longer like, it's no longer their directive to just destroy organic life, right? Like they Mm -hmm. are organic life because they're, they're now both. Everybody's both. So yeah. the cycle has been broken by that choice and by Shepard's existence. And now it doesn't need to happen anymore, right? Like they can find a balance somewhere in there between chaos and harmony. So that for me is a perfect, like that, that's an ending. That, that's an ending to a series. And it's an ending to a very, it's a very epic ending to a very epic story. So I don't know. That's how I felt about my ending on first glance. How did you feel? Well, I, I would kind of agree with that because I like the kind of the concept of the synthesis ending and the whole kind of the new start and the what it represents for, you know, Shepard and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff that you just said. But at the same time, I mean, you said it's it was about the journey just with the characters and stuff, but I still would have liked more closure at the end mm-hmm. because... Um, <laughs> I mean, you talk about Lost, but that's like a TV show, and you, yeah. you kind of just go along for the ride and see where they go with it. But with Mass Effect, I, and I think Bioware's kind of backed themselves into this corner because of 
all the choices that they've given you throughout yeah. the whole thing. And then you get to the end and it's just like three choices that are really kind of similar and it pretty much all plays out regardless of you know who you romanced or who you saved on the suicide mission or how many races you got to join you in your fight against the Reapers. Mm-hmm. Like none of that really matters in those last 10 minutes of the game. Yeah. Um and you know even though I could say yeah it was just about the journey but I've become so invested in those characters like I still you know part of me is just really wants to know like well what happened to you know like I had Garrus and James with me on that final mission where, you you know, you're running down that hill and get blasted by the Reaper. I'm like, well, I can assume they died, but did they die? Like, mm-hmm. I want to know that. And I've heard from other people that, you know, one of the characters that they had with them at the end there, like, steps out of the Normandy at the end, and it's like, well, how did they get there? Yeah. Um, for me, it was, like I said, I had James and Garrus with me on the final mission, and then it was Joker and Edie and Ashley who came out of the Normandy. Okay. Um, but, like, my See? sister was... My my sister was playing it, and she had I guess she picked Garrus as a romance choice, and so he was one of the ones that came out of the Normandy at the end, even though he was there on Earth during the battle. And I'm like, they could have explained that better because reg- I mean, regardless of who comes out of the ship, I was still like, Joker, what are you doing? Like, we're in the middle of a fight with the Reapers, and I'm glad you're not going to die because you're getting away. But why would you be going through a mass relay right now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, I yeah. <laughs> you summed it up, right? Like that's the whole yeah. issue. Well, and so not not just with the personal characters too, but like we like I said with the destroying the mass relays and like yeah. you would think that that's kind of the end of civilization, but yeah. I kind of like to see the ramifications of that a little bit, like Yeah. Because you've just gone through all this ordeal to like save the Corians from getting wiped out by the Geth to cure the Krogans from the Genophage and now I'm like, well, I want to kind of see how that plays out like Ideally, I would like to see Rex get to, you know, go back to his people on Tuchanka or see Tally and her, you know, all the Corians get to finally settle on the home world. But, you know, yeah, it's kind of like the the ending just kind of leaves all that hanging and it's more focused just on Shepard and kind of the overall fate of like the future of the galaxy, but doesn't really address those more immediate concerns. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're right, and I think that's how a lot of people feel about it. And uh, and and you know, I I agree with them. I don't disagree. Uh, I do personally feel that it is Bioware's choice to tell the story how they want to tell it, um, and uh, that ending is is going to be the ending that they write. Uh, and and at a certain point, you have to kind of step away and accept that, you know, like it's, it's, it was their story to tell. And yes, you were along for the ride to, to help them flesh it out and, uh, and make choices along the way. But it was, they were all choices that they gave you to make. Right. Right. But like so, I said, they, I, I think that's part of the reason why <laughs> people are so mad is because they kind of created that illusion that you're creating your own story and then you get to the end and they're like, it's still our story and we're going to end it how we want to end it. Yeah. And I, I think, because I've read in a lot of interviews, too, like leading up to the game, they were talking about how for Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, they basically had to end in the same place so that you could, um, you know, for the for the next game, you have a solid starting point that everyone starts off from. Yeah. So, you know, in Mass Effect 1, regardless of the choices you make, you're still going to have to defeat Saren and save the Citadel and all that. But they were saying that because of because Mass Effect Three from the outset was going to be the end of this trilogy and be the end of Shepard's story, that there could be a lot more sort of branching endings. Mm-hmm. And so I think everyone was kind of hoping that even if it would be hard to get, there'd be like that one perfect ending where 
you know, you just get this huge force together and you totally wipe out the Reapers and Shepard gets to, you know, be with his romance interest and, you know, live in peace or whatever. I mean, I wasn't mad that Shepard died. Like you said, I kind of saw that coming too, but I think a lot of people are just angry that there wasn't kind of more variety and maybe a more hopeful ending that you could get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I. So here's the thing, though. Here's the kicker. We know everybody's issue with it, and we know the the actual serious issues with the ending, but they've now come out and said, okay, we're going to release an ending that gives you more closure, right? Uh, that's mm-hmm. Bioware has has essentially uh, quote unquote bowed to the to the pressure of all of the uh, angries and uh, and decided that they're that they're going to put this out now. In my opinion, I don't think that this was ever not part of their plan. <laughs> so, like, huh. like th- th- this was they were going to do this all along. I don't know that they expected the outrage. I don't know if they were looking for the outrage as part of like get everybody to care about it and then give them the ending that they want. But here's the thing: there's there's two things going on right now. There, one is that there is there's a it's come to light that there's a codex uh entry in the first game that actually alludes to the synthesis ending that there's a a volus on on a planet who um who pretty much says like that you know the the only hope for civilization is a union of technological and organic life together mm-hmm. so that was in like that's in the the codex entries in the first game I. Uh, so it seems like they kind of had this planned all from the beginning that this was the end point of the trilogy because they knew it was a trilogy when they started it. They, right. they released the first game saying, "This is going to be a trilogy." Right. So well, and you know what? I'm okay with that though because like a lot of people also are saying that like they're mad because this whole thing with the this being or whatever that takes the form of the kid like mm-hmm. people call it you know Star Child or whatever that. You know, that just kind of came out of nowhere and that, you know, yeah. we were supposed to just be fighting the Reapers and now all of a sudden you're going to throw some mystic mumbo-jumbo at us about, you know, some other force that's been controlling the Reapers the whole time. Yeah. But see, that stuff kind of makes sense to me, though, because, I mean, whenever you encounter a Reaper in any of the games, like if you talk to Sovereign in Mass Effect 1 or whatever, they're always like, you know, there's more to this than you can comprehend and we're, you know, more powerful than you know and we're... They yeah. they never really sound evil, like, we hate you and we're going to wipe you out. They're like, we're the agents of, you know, order, and we bring order to the chaos of organic evolution and all this stuff. And so, even though it seems kind of sudden at the end, if you think about it, you're like, yeah, well, they kind of have been alluding to that the whole time. We just thought they were, you know, puffing their chests at us, but, you know, it actually kind of made sense. Yeah. So So when they say they're going to come out and change the ending, like, I hope they don't completely rewrite it like i'm okay with kind of the implications of you know like we said the synthesis or even controlling the reapers or destroying them or whatever and kind of the way that the crucible works and all that that's all fine with me i just want them to maybe add more scenes that let us see what happens afterwards Mm -hmm. or see you know what happens to the characters during the battle or see what happens to you know other civilizations in the galaxy afterwards or see you know where joker went right at the end there before he ended up on that planet so Okay, so here's like, the, there's, there's definitely a lot of stuff that I would like them to expand yeah. on, but I don't think they need to radically change it. So okay, it, but but here's the thing. 
here's the thing. This is why I say that they've been planning this the whole time. Because people have been saying for probably the last week or two now uh, that they've had time to digest the ending and sort of pour over it and watch that ending multiple times. It's not what it seems. The ending doesn't appear to actually be the ending. I, and this is why I say that, that they've been planning this the whole time and that, they are, that they've got another ending already. The one part of the ending that we haven't talked about is that if you get the perfect renegade ending, at the very end, there's a brief, like, half a second clip where you see Shepard's body. You don't see his face. You just see his chest and his body laying in a pile of debris. We don't know where that debris is. It's really close up, so we, we can't be 100% sure. And he takes a breath right mm -hmm. at the end implying that he survives. <clears throat> what people are saying is that that whole ending from the time that you get hit with that reaper blast to to the very end is either A not happening or B is not happening the way that you think it's happening. If you read into indoctrination and all of the stuff that's in the codexes and everything uh, that they've put out that talks about indoctrination, it's like you, like things are controlling your mind to make you make decisions a certain way. It's not that it's just making you do things. It's that it's tricking you into it. And if you look at the way that the elusive man is behaving towards the end of the game, he is completely delusional. Like yeah. he's, he's jumping at shadows essentially. And like, like, reacting to things that aren't there. The Rachni Queen also says that in her visions when she was being indoctrinated, she would see these oily spot versions of her children, of the Rachni, in her dreams. And there's these dream sequences all throughout the game where Shepard oh. is seeing humans... But they're just kind of these oily spots that he can never quite focus on, and they're kind of like ghosts, but these black, murky, and it's all—it's very confusing and everything. And he keeps seeing that child. Yeah. So I firmly believe that what happens at the end there is that when Shepard is that close to the Reapers and to that many Reapers, and he's been in contact with Reapers for so long, and he's had the Prothean beacon in his mind he is being indoctrinated and the reapers are saying to him you have these choices you can choose to control the reapers go over there grab those things take control of the reapers you know like that's one choice or you can choose to destroy the reapers and although you see anderson in these visions uh, not in these visions but when you're up there like it shows you the elusive man grabbing the things and taking control of the Reapers. And it shows you Anderson destroying the, the Citadel and killing the Reapers, mm -hmm. right? But it, like I said earlier, it shows them as Renegade and, Renegade and Paragon in the opposite of what you think that they should be. Now, that just leads me even more so to believe that, the, that that's the Reapers trying to trick you into choosing one or the other. Right? Like, they're trying to make you go, that's the wrong choice. Destroying the Reapers is the wrong choice. Don't do that. 
It's the renegade choice. You, you don't want to make the renegade choice. You want to make the paragon choice. Or you want to just jump into the beam. Just jump into the beam and, and become one with, with the, the, the um, crucible and, uh, you know, make it all synthetic organic life. Just, just those are your choices. There you go. So you can either grab onto this thing that's going to obliterate you, uh, and you'll, but you'll be controlling the Reapers, so it's okay. Probably BS. Like, that's probably a load of crap. Grabbing onto that thing probably just kills him, right? Like, it just destroys him, or it turns him into a husk. One or the other, right? Mm -hmm. Jumping into the beam kills him. Like, it just kills him. That doesn't actually create synthesis. It just kills him. He just dies. It's just a big energy beam. And he just dies, right? Yeah. But destroying the thing actually destroys the Reapers and defeats them. That's what people are saying is is actually going on there. Is that he like you've just you're playing from the perspective of a character who has been indoctrinated. So you're being told that these are your choices, but they're not. And you also, you're up there and you don't know what's going on. You don't know how to do this. You don't know what the Crucible is supposed to do. They've engineered the entire scenario to be confusing in that last 10 minutes of the game. And honestly, I think it's genius. I think it's an amazing storytelling technique. I think it really, really cheaps out on the consumer who paid $60 for that game plus yeah. the $10 for the Prothean DLC. Plus the $15 for the Arrival DLC uh, from Mass Effect 2 that links into Mass Effect 3. At, at this point, you've spent more than $100, uh, whether you've bought the Collector's Edition or not, on all of this stuff that links into it, right? Yeah. And now they're going to go, here you go, here's another $10 DLC, or here's another $15 DLC. Now, if they turn around and they go, here, they're going to release an ending, a, a, a piece of DLC... And the piece of DLC is called The Truth. They've already announced that that's what it's going to be called. Oh, did they? Yeah. So oh, okay. it's going to be called The Truth. If you're releasing a DLC and uh, a DLC that is called The Truth, and the message at the very end of the game after everything is, we hope you enjoyed Mass Effect 3. Join us soon for downloadable content. And, you know, like you can pick back up with Commander Shepard and blah, blah, blah. I don't think if you made choice one, two, or three that it will make a difference. Uh, I don't think that you'll only be able to continue the game if you made the true perfect Paragon choice. I think that that was just a teaser for them to put out there to give you the heads up. I think that what happened is that you never actually even made it onto the Citadel that you got hit by that beam and everything else that happens is all just happening inside your head. And what that actually is, is the, uh, whether or not the, the Reapers take control of your mind, whether or not they indoctrinate you. If you choose to destroy the Reapers within your mind, they don't indoctrinate you. If you choose the synthesis or the control endings, if you choose control, they take you over. If you choose synthesis, you die. That's that's my personal opinion. Like I, I don't know if that's what it's going to be. I, maybe synthesis will be okay as well. But in any case, I think that you'll get that DLC and it will open with that taking a breath, waking up, 
and then ending the game, finishing the story. Actually finishing the story. Going up on the Crucible and defeating the Reapers once and for all. And, and people will get the closure that they wanted, and they'll get the, the ramifications of their choices, and they'll get all of that stuff. But I think that Bioware wrote the ending with this in mind. Now, whether or not they originally had the whole DLC part of it planned out, I don't know, right? Because yeah, I was seven say, if years it, ago, if, if DLC wasn't to, as big a deal. But well, yeah, if it, if, like, if it comes to light that they planned that the whole time, I think people yeah. are going to be even more mad than they are right now. Like, I think they will be, but I don't think let us, that they people let us get all worked up about it like that, mm-hmm. and that you know you were really like holding the real ending from us the whole time. Like people are going to feel cheated and really mad about it. Um, and, like, from the comments that I've read that Bioware's made about how, you know, they're, like, shocked at people's reactions and, like, okay, now we're thinking about how can we change the ending. It, I mean, it doesn't, it just doesn't sound to me like they planned for it. Um, and, like, they, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's something that EA convinced them to do it to get more money or something, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't seem like good sense to me to release a game without the actual ending and then you're going to release the ending as DLC later and be like oh you guys hated that well here's the one that we were originally planning the whole time like even I would be like why didn't you just put that in the game in the first place Mm -hmm. absolutely I do think that if that's what they're doing that it should have just been part of the game the whole time but I do understand if that's what's going on and I'm right then this was it was part of the experience so, yeah, like, I get it. I get why people are going to be upset. I get why people won't like that. I get all of that. I don't agree with them. I think they need to take a step back, realize they're just talking about a video game, and that this is a story that these guys have been in control of and that they've been fostering for the last seven years, right, to get to this point for this payoff. And as a storytelling technique, and as far as video games go it's revolutionary like it completely changes the way that you're telling a story in a video game and there's another video game that there's there's actually two video games that have done something similar one was called eternal darkness and there was a moment in that game it's kind of a cthulhu based game and i it makes you believe that your character's going insane at certain points when the more you see the monsters the more crazy you go and if your bar gets all the way to the end, different things will happen to you. Like, you'll go insane and stuff. One of the things that can happen to you is that your system, uh, it was on the GameCube, will stop and it, and it goes, your memory is corrupted. Uh, like, the, the GameCube has encountered a fatal error. Your, your save has been corrupted. Please reset. And the whole point of that, it didn't actually happen it's just a trick. Like, it was just a trick that was part of the narrative of the game. Right? And yeah. it was genius. And it was a completely insane way to tell a story. And it was terrible because there were a lot of people who would see that and they'd go, oh, crap. And they'd hit reset only to realize that they were just put back to their previous save. Right? Nothing happened. Yeah. And they just lost, like, whatever amount of time they'd just been playing. Which is a total trick and is part of the game experience. And yes, I lost that time. Yes, it was a cheap trick. Yes, it was nasty. But it was part of the game. 
and it was part of the storyline and it influenced the narrative and how I felt about that survival horror game. This is taking that same sort of idea. Uh, Metal Gear Solid did it as well, where uh, in your final fight with Psycho Mantis, you had to take your controller out of port one and put it into controller port two into the second player slot. And then Psycho Mantis couldn't control your mind anymore because he couldn't read you because you weren't in player one. Huh. Because you're supposed to be in player one, right? So, like, it's been done on a similar level before, uh, in a similar way before, but not on this level. And and what Bioware has done with this is taken a concept that they've tried to express to you throughout three games, and it's been important, and, you know, Saren was indoctrinated, and so-and-so was indoctrinated, and this character and that character, and you keep encountering these people who think they're doing the right thing from their point of view. They are Vader. They are the Emperor. <laughs> they are, it's another way of telling that story. And at the end of the day, how are we going to get this across to people in the best way? This concept of indoctrination, this battle between good or evil, this morality choice-based system... We want to take control away from them at the end of the game, but we can't let them know that we've taken their control away. We have to make them think that they're still making a choice. And that was the whole point. That's what the ending is. And they'll release the DLC that's the truth, and it'll tell us all of this, and it'll confirm all of these suspicions. And for me... I want to go to Bioware headquarters and give every single person that had something to do with that a high five. Yes, they totally screwed with me. Yes, they pulled at my emotions. Yes, they tricked me and it was nasty. If they charge me money for it, that's not cool. And yeah. I'll tell them that that's not cool. I will still buy it and I will still finish the story though. And I guarantee you all of these whiny, complainy, gripey people will do the exact same thing, and at the end of the day, EA was right, but it doesn't matter because what Bioware has done is told an interactive story on the scope of Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or Indiana Jones or any of these stories that we get so heavily invested in, but they've given us choice. And then at the end, they've shown us, you never really had choice. Choice was always an illusion. We were manipulating you the whole time, especially at the end. Like, look at what we did to you at the end. Look at what we made you choose. We made you choose to kill your character. Or we made you choose to let the Reapers win because we made you think it was the Paragon choice. And you were playing full Paragon and you couldn't be brought to make the rene Renegade or uh, Synthesis choice. So you went with Paragon. Think of the player who did that. Who went through and went... It di they didn't care about the personal motivation. They just went, I'm just going to play through the game. And every single time that there's a blue choice, I'm going to do the blue choice. Whether it hurts me, whether it hurts my friends, whether it's good for the galaxy, whatever. I'm going to make the blue choice. Only to find out at the very end that last blue choice, that last left trigger, was the wrong choice because the Reapers were controlling you. You were indoctrinated. Right? And they give us hints. Mm. There's a black, uh, oily slick creeping in at the edges for part of that sequence. 
they give us hints. They let us know that that's what's going on. If that is in fact what's going on, right? If this if this theory is correct, yeah. And and for me, for my money, for what I've spent on Mass Effect over the last two years, I honestly uh, well worth it. I just bought the fifty dollar art book, and I couldn't be happier with it. It's an amazing piece of piece of uh, uh, artwork, and, uh, well, collection of artwork, and and it's incredibly well put together, and it's one of the best art books that I own. And these guys, they care about what they've done, and they care about us as the players. <clears throat> and I think that there were a lot of people who were pissed off from day one with the the Prothean DLC. Uh, and then when they got to the end of the game and this crap happened, it just pissed them off even more. And I get that, and I get why you're upset, but take a step back, try and look at what they're accomplishing... Uh, look at it as a business because it is a business uh, and we're consumers and if you really have a problem with it don't send cupcakes just speak with your wallet don't buy Mass Effect don't buy Bioware mm -hmm. games don't buy EA games if you have a problem with the way that EA is doing business let them know by not purchasing their stuff well, that's you know, the only I thing that they're gonna that they're gonna listen to EA is a massive corporation with shareholders they don't care about your feelings or your cupcakes. I'm sorry, like that's it. That's that's end of argument. Like there's yeah. no there's no devil's advocate to that. There's no other side. There's no different point of view. They are a corporation. They don't make decisions based on human beings. They make decisions based on money. That's the world we live in in 2012. Deal with it or move on. You know, but, you like, know I I think some people are doing that though. Like you talk yeah, about Absolutely. Um, you know, Bioware, like, hoping people will hold on and, um, you know, kind of give this ending time to sink in, and then they'll release the rest of it as DLC. It's like yeah. the actual end of the story. But some people are getting so mad that they're, you know, they're returning their, their copies to, you know, GameStop or whatever, or they're, yeah. you know, trading in other EA games. Like, I've heard people say... Um, I was on the Bioware forums, and there's a bunch of people that are canceling their subscriptions to the Old Republic... Yeah. as, like, a protest against Mass Effect 3. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm depressed about the Mass Effect 3 ending, so I'm going to go play the Old Republic yeah. and, like, cheer myself up by cutting some stuff up with my lightsaber. Like, yeah. that doesn't even make sense. But, yeah, I mean, it's just become such a huge thing. Like, I I mean, like you were saying, they could have planned all this, and, I mean, the, the theory you're talking about kind of makes sense, but it just doesn't make sense to me from the standpoint that they would leave the game incomplete Yes. And hope people would like it enough to hang on to it until they release the actual ending. Like, if there was something in the game where maybe, like, a really bad ending happened, and then you find out that you were indoctrinated the whole time, and you get to go back and have, like, an actual ending in the game, mm -hmm. then I would have been like, ooh, that was a really cool trick there, and, you know, that was some great storytelling, and now I'm going to go finish the actual ending. But to just leave us hanging and wondering, like, is this the actual ending or not? And then... To be like, okay, here's the actual ending when the first one that we thought was the real ending like already made so many people mad. I'd be kind of upset about that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I, you know what? I, I think only time's going to tell on it, and uh, we'll have to wait and see. I, yeah, it's just it's it's a uh, it's interesting, and and maybe we'll come back after that DLC is uh, released and the whole Mass Effect thing is really truly over, and. Uh, and and Kyle and I will give our final verdicts 
on how we feel about the whole situation. But uh, but that's what it is for now. That's the way it is. That's the yeah. way it's going to be. And uh, and you know what? We've been going on for long enough. Uh, so that's going to be it for us. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add right here at the end, Kyle? Uh, not really. I mean, I will say that aside from my some of my complaints about the ending, overall Mass Effect 3 was an awesome game. Yes. Um, you know, everything from the, the visuals and the graphics to the music to the, you know, the combat and the gameplay and stuff like that. And it, it did feel like there were maybe a slightly less choices to make than the previous two games had, but, um, you know, I was okay with that because I f- kind of felt like even though there were choices to make in this one, it was more, um, I don't know, I guess kind of more like the outcomes of my previous two, like all my choices in the previous two games. It's like, now the Reapers are here, there's not really anything you can do about it. It's just like, you know, you either beat the Reapers or you don't, and along the way you're going to see how everything you've already done impacts that. So, you know, I was I was okay with more, like like I said, I felt like it was a little bit more linear, but, um, you know, still really enjoyed kind of getting to make some of those choices and seeing the effects of previous ones. And, I mean, the gameplay is really fun. You know, get, there's uh, more variety of, like, weapons and powers and upgrades and stuff from uh, Mass Effect 2. I'm actually on my second playthrough now. Um, and, you know, going back through and trying out a new character. Mm-hmm. And another thing we didn't mention, which doesn't really have anything to do with the story or the endings, but multiplayer, which uh, I think is another thing that people were kind of mad about at first when they announced it. They were like, yeah. oh, e- you know, EA is corrupting Bioware into this company that doesn't care about its fans and they just want to make money and they're going to, you know, it's going to be taking away from the single player game when they're adding multiplayer to it. But I think the multiplayer is a lot of fun and really well integrated into the, into the campaign. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah, overall, I mean, even though I don't think the endings are perfect, overall the the game itself is pretty great. So, absolutely cool. Well, uh, I loved it, uh, and yes, you're totally right about the multiplayer, uh, which we kind of glossed, uh, just completely missed, didn't talk about. But I, but I'm gonna make up for that right now by uh, saying that we're gonna go play the multiplayer. I mean, I'm play it right now. Uh, so, thank you guys for tuning in to our April Fools episode of uh, Frontlines, uh, which is uh, 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 what did we call it? Calibrations, the Mass Effect oh. podcast. So. And by the way, if, for people who haven't played Mass Effect and don't get the joke, there's you know Garrus, the character we were talking about, who's both of our favorite squad mate. He's uh, in Mass Effect Two. You can you know you go around your ship and talk to different characters and stuff, and Garrus yeah. is always hanging out by the gun battery. Um, because he's, you know, a skilled technician and soldier and all that, so he knows how to work the big guns. And after a while, if you've talked to him a whole bunch and he doesn't really have anything else to say, you'll go to talk to him and he'll just be like, can it wait for a bit? I'm in the middle of some calibrations. Yeah. And it's kind of exploded into a whole bunch of internet jokes. And so, yeah, yeah, Garrus does calibrations. So that's that's the joke, and that's it for us. Uh, And we will catch you guys uh, on the next episode of Frontlines the Clone Wars podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, listen to the previous episode, 94, where Matt and I talk the season finale of Frontlines, uh, or uh, sorry, Star Wars, the Clone Wars, and uh, as well as a special interview with Concetta Parker at the end of the episode uh, of Parker Publicity. She's the publicist for James Arnold Taylor and Catherine Tabor, and a huge Star Wars fan in her own right. 
So that is well worth the listen. Probably one of the best interviews we've ever had on the show. Uh, so, so definitely check that out if you missed the last episode. And we will catch you guys on our next episode, which uh, will be a season four recap. Uh, and I, just a heads up, as always, I, we are nearing the home stretch towards Star Wars Celebration, and we are 145 days, uh, 9 hours, 18 minutes, and 56 seconds to Star Wars Celebration in uh, Orlando at the Orange County Convention Center. August 23rd to 26th, I will be there. Kyle will be there. Uh, yep. Matt will hopefully be there, uh, as well as uh, plenty of other people who are much more important than us that you'll want to see. So. <laughs> and in case there was any doubt, this week they officially confirmed that there will be a Clone Wars Season 5, even though we already knew they were working on it, yes. but that's always good news. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you guys next time. See you later.